This is the MLW Radio Network. Welcome to another Tuesday night of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland, and I am joined by my esteemed, incredible co-host. His name is... The Rit. Ritster, how you doing, buddy? Uh, not bad, not bad, Mike. Uh, just been uh, just been busy working, you know, getting, uh, getting the old uh, calendar filled out for the rest of the year. It is complete. Nice. Future Stars Now is good until January 1st. Wow, that is awesome. That is huge, huge, huge. Um, I did want to mention something to you. I uh, I feel bad for you, bud. Um, it's been a great run with your boys. Um, but the Sox, I mean, how, how do you feel with all that going on right now? Not as bad as you do with those freaking Jets. It's football season now. That's all it's worried about. As soon as, as, soon as game five was over... Or actually, no, game six. Game six was over and the Red Sox were eliminated. I went outside, took down my Red Sox flag, packed it up until spring of next year. And well, it is football season and the Giants beat Carolina. No one predicted it. And we are on the way. Well, you guys beat that. Uh, what's a guy? That Sam Darnold guy? That guy never had it. What a schmo. I tell you what, whoever picked that guy. Uh, what a schmuck. Unbelievable. You feeling good about the Giants, though? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, probably the same way I'm feeling about my Jets. Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm not feeling that bad. It's not good, man. This is not good. It's another bad year. Another bad year for the J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. But... but- yeah. Hey, it's a good it's a good time tonight for uh, future stars. Now, indeed, it is. It's a great night for wrestling. Tell them who we got on the show tonight. We have a longtime listener to the show. He listened to the show back when it was good. <laughs> oh my god, that's yeah. tremendous! I love hey. it. Hey, you mean when we had those two old farts? Hey, those hey, two, those two who, old farts. Who who were they? I don't even know who they are. Um, uh. One guy was a member of the Three Stooges, and the other guy used to be like Mr. High Flying, and now he's just, I don't know. Man. Hey, who, who, who was it? On Twitter, somebody was sitting there and said that, I think it was Preston Vance had the nicest ass in AEW. Jade, Jade uh, said that. And I had the comment. I'm like, I don't think you've ever seen Jerry Lynn's sweet ass. Have you seen Jerry Lynn's ass before, my friend? Yeah. I'm telling you, in a completely heterosexual way. I mean, you could you could bounce quarters off that thing. I mean, you could play an ass on that ass. It's a nice ass. Oh man, but uh, no moon dog around, so that no. probably fell on deaf ears. Exactly, but man, he is a indie superstar. 
he uh, he knows Mikey very close and personal. What we're gonna do is we're gonna bring in longtime listener, first time on the show, and a very successful independent wrestler, Mister Johnny Moran. It's Johnny Moran, by the way. Uh, uh, yes, I, I, was, I was thrown the accent for <laughs> Moran. Moran. I get chanted Moran usually when they when they hate me, so that that kind of works, but. Yeah, I, I, I've been listening for a very long time. I was actually at training with Mikey Whipwreck. I don't know if he was talking to you, Mike, or if he was talking to Jerry, but I remember he like was looking at his phone and he's like, Moran, run this for a second. And I just like took over the drills for like two minutes. And then he came back in the ring and he was like, it's like, I think I'm doing a podcast. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? And then yeah, he's like, "All right, it's it's next week. You got to listen to it." And I'm like, "I will." And then um, I I've been listening ever since. So awesome. Well, we I appreciate your your loyalty to this. Yeah. Um, if you follow the show, obviously you know that good friend Mikey Whipwreck. Um, yeah. You took a little sabbatical. Uh, wrestling takes its toll on you, and yeah. um, very. There's a two part episode. If you guys didn't get a chance to check it out, two part episode where. Mikey really goes in depth and talks about everything that's happened with him. And he opens up a lot and um, it really opened your eyes to the fact that wrestling, you know, as great as it is for us fans to watch it. I mean, for the performers, we have no clue. We have no concept um, of everything that happens. And that's why I have so much respect for what you guys do, because man, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Thank you. Really do appreciate that. Well, Well, Johnny, since you've been a long time listener, Next week's the big three anniversary, uh, three year anniversary special we have. Yeah, I mean that that's awesome to be doing this for three years. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a hard road, even just doing a podcast. Like people just think, oh, he just you know clicks on a button and just starts talking. Like it's it's not that no. simple. There's I, a lot. There's a I, lot that goes into it. But I wish it was that simple, right? Oof. So uh, let's kind of dig into here from the the very get-go. What was your first introduction to wrestling itself? I mean, you know, what was your first memory as far as seeing it? Um, How did that all come about? Um, I have an older brother, James. He's 10 years older than me. So when I was an infant, he used to, like, joke with me and, like, give me his, like, LJN, like, Hulk Hogan's and, like, Paul Orndorff's and stuff and, like, I literally still have the Hulk Hogan LJN somewhere here and it's got like teeth marked because I was like teething on it. Yep. Um, so like I always idolized my brother James when I was growing up because he was just this monster of a human when I was a little kid. So he had like all the WWF magazines. He had Saturday Night main event like tape. Like I can't tell you how many times I watched Macho Man versus Hulk Hogan with James Buster Douglas as the referee. Um and I was just obsessed. Like I had the lunchbox, like I was Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior for like Halloween. Like I've always wanted to do this. Um, I remember like the moment I really like decided like I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. I remember I was at my grandma's and um a guy by the name of Stunning Steve Austin was wrestling Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and I didn't know his name at the time. And I just saw a dragon slayer on his butt and dragon slayer on his boots. And I kept asking my mom, I'm like, I, I, I want my hair cut. 
like the dragon slayer. Like I had no idea what his name was. I was like, I was like, mom, the dragon slayer. I want my hair cut like that. And she's like, Hey, your aunt will cut your hair like that. I'm like, can I get his toy? Like, can I get his toy? They never made the toy. So like every right. Christmas I would ask for this dragon slayer toy and never got it. I still, I'm 33 years old. Never got a dragon slayer toy. I'm, I'm a little upset. I think Steve Austin owes me a, a dragon slayer <laughs> toy. And then like, it's crazy. Cause like, you know, when I got older and like started watching the attitude era, I had no idea that the Dragon Slayer was Stone Cold Steve Austin when I was a little kid. So that like blew my mind the day I, I forget what DVD it came out and like that match was on there. I'm like, no way. Like that's him back then. And like I kind of knew the ECW thing because I remember seeing the the promos that he did in ECW, but I like YouTube wasn't hot like it is now, like when I was in um like high school and stuff. So like when I was in college, that's where I kind of like found out like, oh, my God, like this guy that was my favorite wrestler, like my whole life. So like Steve Austin is pretty much the reason I'm I'm in this business. So, you know, obviously you start off a WWF fan um, mm -hmm. and then you get introduced to WCW. Mm -hmm. Did you have as much love for WCW? I know you had love for Steve, but was there as much love for WCW or was it just mainly WWF and then the Dragon Slayer? Uh, oddly enough, um, the Saturday night main events, I was, I don't know why I was just drawn to the brain busters. I love the brain busters. And my brother had Starcade 87 It's the only NWA tape he had. And, uh, they were, they were the four horsemen on there. And I'm like the whole time, every time I'd watch that tape, I'm like, why are they not calling them the brain busters? Like why? Like, and why I, I remember like, like nwa was like so much darker i'm like why is it so dark in there and like i loved it but like there were so many like contrasting things and i just had that one tape and i'm pretty sure it was it was just i don't think it turned over to wcw yet i'm pretty sure it was still nwa at that point in 87 because um i would go over my grandma's and i would see wcw and i would never click that except rick flair like rick flair i was like rick flair for some reason can go back and forth and like that's the only person i'm like why is tully and aren't why aren't they calling them the brain busters so i i did like anything wrestling i i just fell in love with um the first pay-per-view i ever saw was uh wrestlemania 8 um so that who's that your yeah it's still like anytime everybody's like oh what's your favorite wrestlemania and like I always go to that because, like, that's that. Like, I watched those tapes like so many times. Like, we, you know, we got it illegally when we were kids on the box that was at my aunt's. Yeah, and uh, we taped it. So I, uh, I always had that tape. So like, I watched WrestleMania like thirty thousand times. Like, Bret Hart and Roddy Roddy Piper is like one of my favorite matches. Gold, right? Oh, such a, such a good match. But I, I, I loved all wrestling. It, you know, when I was a kid, I just didn't understand, like, why some people weren't on both shows. I'm like, well, why are they allowed to go on both shows, but this guy isn't? But, yeah, no, I, I did have the love. Um, I was never one to be like, oh, no, I can't watch WCW, like, when the Monday Night Wars were happening. Me and my friends that I grew up with were kind of really hardcore wrestling fans. So, like, if I always watched Raw, so I would tape Raw, and then my other friend Joe would always watch WCW, and he would tape that three hours, and we would just trade every day or every Tuesday. 
Wow, you guys said you had DVR before oh. DVR was a thing. You had the first ever DVR yeah. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just fast forward through the commercials. So, so, so Johnny, what was your first uh, little tidbit of watching ECW? And, uh, and, and, and what did you think about that? Uh, it's funny. Um, my grandmother uh, basically like took care of me and my. I have two nieces. I have another brother that's uh, twenty years older than me. So when he was eighteen, he had a daughter um, in high school. So my niece is kind of like my sister. Um, so they live literally like a block behind me. So my grandmother would take me over there every day after school until my brother Joe got out of work. And randomly, I remember ECW was on and it was like after school time. And I remember seeing ECW and we like fell in love with Rey Mysterio. Another guy didn't know the name. We just called him question mark guy because he had the questions. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like when you're a kid, you're just like, and like my niece, like used to love him. She's like, where's that little question mark guy? I'm like, I don't know. He's not on this week. <laughs> But um, I fell in love with Shane Douglas in um, ECW. And then my little brother, um, Dave, he fell in love with, oddly enough, Mikey Whipwreck. And he was Davey Whipwreck when we wrestled in the basement. And I would beat the living hell out of him. He's like, he would wear his long, long johns because he thought Whipwreck um, wore long johns, like those white long johns. And he would wear shorts over them. He's like, look, I have his gear. <laughs> gear. But he's like, look, I have his clothes. I have his clothes. And like, he had like my, like I had one tie-dye shirt. And he's like, he has a tie-dye shirt too. I got his whole look, look. And he would wear his bandana backwards. Like, so my, my brother really loved. So like the day um, Mikey came to PPW to train us, like, man, my little brother's like, is he as cool as he was when I was a kid? I'm like, he's even better. He's like the funniest guy you'll ever meet in your life. He's like, this is true. Man, I just want to come down and talk to him. And I'm like, I know. I'm like, if you want to come down one time, like just come down and talk to him. And then like, he became a listener just to hear like the Mikey Whipwreck, like not in the ring stuff. And like, he's like, he is as funny as you say he is. And I'm like, I swear to God, he like training with him, like, I would say 90% of training with him, I'd be in tears laughing because he would just get me to crack up like all the time. Like he would do his Andre impression. And like, <laughs> I, could, I still hear it in my head and like it makes, and then his Terry Funk impression is like second and none. Like um, this, the saloon door story is like my favorite story he's ever told me. Um, he, I, I, I love Mikey. Um, he's one of my favorite people. Well, well, if you love all his impersonations, mm -hmm. I would love for you to sit there and just stay back in Gorilla. You know, mm -hmm. once we're done, yeah, we'll sit there and we'll play the infamous "I'm Too Sexy" video. Have you heard "I'm Too Sexy"? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. The, the, the video is is the it is him, <laughs> yeah. and it's like I'm like how, like mm -hmm. he goes into Piper. He goes. He mm -hmm. just morphs into these people and he becomes yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forget who in training, like just threw somebody hard and then he just went and he went, I'm Andre the giant. <laughs> just like went all into this and I'm in tears, like just laughing. And like, I, I like a lot of the time I would be just on the floor rolling because he would like just have me in stitches laughing.
I know Mikey would definitely, I know Mikey loves doing the seminars and I would love to see him back on the, the, the seminar circuit because I think there's so much that he could share with this next generation of wrestlers as well, because it's funny because the, the six degrees of Mikey Whipwreck, which, you know, it's, it's a take on the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. um, It's everywhere. Everything ties back into him and all this stuff. And everything that you're saying, Jay Lethal has said as well. And it's crazy to know the impact and influence that somebody has, but how profound it is. And a lot of people don't really understand that the lineage of who knows who and who was trained by who and that entire bloodline, if you will. Um, you know, you talk about the Heenan family. I mean, what about the Whipwreck family? It's a pretty, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a pretty large one. Um, yeah. But let me ask you about ECW as well. I mean, it was kind of a, a raunchier, vulgar type of style of wrestling. Mm-hmm. So when you were younger and you discovered this, at what point in time did you realize this ain't WWF superstars? Uh, you know, when you see Francine uh, coming <laughs> out and, and my niece is like uh, questioning what, what's going on there with like the short skimpy skirt. And I'm like, I don't know, but you're not allowed to wear that. So don't worry about it. <laughs> like, you know, like, Great teaching moment. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. You don't get boyfriends and all that stuff. Like, cause I'm the, you know, older brother in that aspect. But um, yeah. And then like, the tables and stuff like you didn't see that in WWE um, or, or WCW at that point, really. I mean, I know they had the, I, I missed that part where like Terry Funk had that, like I quit match with um, Ric Flair. Like I didn't see that until like later on. So like, I didn't even know WCW had like that mild, like, you know, kind of ECW style for that like little while where Terry was there. But we we definitely knew it was different, and I remember I remember uh, my niece going saying like, "Why does those other wrestling stuff you watch have the mats on the outside?" And I'm like, "I, I don't know. Like this is different. This one's different. Like <laughs> I'm like everyone's different." And then she's like, "Why are they different? Why wouldn't they be the same?" And I'm like, I, well, "That's that's the point." <laughs> like arguing with her with that would always be funny to me. Yeah, I remember Mikey saying, you know, we don't have the mats because we're not like them. We're hardcore. And they were hardcore. I mean, the matches they would put on, the brutality they would put their bodies through. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that a five-year career in ECW is is probably from a physicality standpoint um, equivalent to 15 or 20 years taking traditional bumps just in a ring. Definitely, definitely. I remember uh, the wrap-ups they would have at the end where everybody would, like, cut little, like, 10-second promos. I remember I used to love that, like, even as a kid. And they had that, like, uh, isn't it, like, the Quentin Tarantino music or something? Yep. Like, overlaid on it? Yep. That, for some reason, always hooked me in. So, like, immediately when I would get over there, I would, like, if we missed all the matches, like, all I wanted to see was that end where they would do like the little like 10 second promos and like, you know, they would always be like in different spots. Like it wouldn't be always like just in front of like a backdrop, like some guys would be outside. Some people would be in a parking lot. Like it was always different and unique. I really, I really, that always stood out to me um, as a kid. I was talking to, uh, I think I've, you've heard this story before, Rit, but Jerry uh, Lynn, after he wrestled, I forget who he wrestled for at one point. But he got a phone call, and he was going to come in to do 
uh, I don't know if it's a tryout or whatever for, for ECW. And I remember Jerry said, I'm in my hotel room. And, he, and I said, we were watching this ECW stuff. And he goes, uh-uh, that is one company I am never going to work for. Like, no chance. No, look what they're doing. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And he goes, then I end up working for them. But right. ECW had its brawlers, and then they had its technical wrestlers as well. Yeah. They had so many things that appealed to so many different people. I think that's what made it so interesting. Oh, definitely. Definitely. No, I, I completely agree. So you decide that you're in love with wrestling now. You're, you're coming across this stuff. Um, you're still, I would say, more in camp WWE at that time, yeah. right? Oh, definitely. So when did you start really doing your, your home wrestling? Was that always a thing even before wrestling started? Or did yeah. that just kind of ramp up? Or um, when, when I was a kid, man, like it was just me and my brother. And we would just play like different characters. Like he also would call himself like Davey Funk. But like I was always... <laughs> I was I was always the franchise Johnny Moran like that I stole chained up I, I used to have um like beads I would put on myself so I pretended to have like a robe or like I would get my house <laughs> coat on and like I I cut the sleeves off of one and my mom like wanted to murder me because like it was like an expensive one but he didn't wow. have sleeves so like I was like and that's like the robe I wear is like homage to Shane Douglas because that's that's where I got the idea for the robe um but it, it it was always like when you're a kid like you just want to you want to be all your favorite wrestlers you know well, well hopefully in the basement when your brother was trying to be mikey you didn't mm -hmm. pull up pull a johnny johnny simmons and uh and give him a, the old drop pie down in the basement uh he took a spine buster through a cardboard box once and wow yeah yeah like anytime we would get like something that we got a cardboard box it was like immediately we like uh, like our parents would be like where's the box going we were like oh, oh, oh. And it would be in like the back room of the basement and then like as soon as like everybody was there, like my mom was doing something and my dad was doing something else we were like let's hit the music because we always played like music for entrances and stuff. <laughs> hit the music and was, yeah it was like I was like, let's hit the music and do this quick. And then like we would have our little match and I'd put him through a box or he'd put me through a box and like just stuff you did as a kid you know so you said you knew pretty early on that this is what you wanted what you mm -hmm. wanted to do um do you remember the first time you told your folks that this was something you wanted to do and, and did they think it was a, a phase did they did they take it seriously or do you think at that point in time they had a pretty good idea that, that you were pretty sincere about it uh, I didn't tell him until I had my first match. The entire time I trained, like I did not. Yeah, I didn't tell my mom. Whoa. I, yeah, because I, I figured. You kayfabed your family. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, they just thought I was at the gym for like stupid amount of time, I guess. Because like <laughs> I've always I've always been into weightlifting and like powerlifting and stuff. So like I, I assume they just thought like Thursdays and Tuesdays I was just like at the gym for like six hours. Like I don't know what they thought I was doing. But they never said anything. And then I remember my first match, they put me on like a poster. And I'm like, crap. I'm like, the jig is up. Like, this is going to get floated around social media. And like, my mom just started using Facebook. And I'm like, if somebody sees this and says, what's your son doing? I'm like, I got to come clean. So like, I remember I told my mom and my dad, I'm like, listen, I, I'm wrestling now. 
And like the deal was like my parents always told me like you can do it um, like once you finish college. So like as soon as I finished college, like I started looking for wrestling schools and that's when I found um, Backbreakers Training Center that was in Scranton. That's where I started. Um, and, you know, like I just didn't tell them because I didn't. I don't know. I was I was worried, like, especially when I was training, like, what if I'm not good? And like, you know, this was just like a dumb dream that like I never should have did. Um, so I just kind of hid it from them. And then that I remember that poster came out. I'm like, God dang it. Like, I have to tell them now. I have to tell them. So like I told them and they're like, well, when's your first show? And I'm like, oh, I don't know when it is yet, but it, it'll happen soon. Like, I didn't want them to come to my first one. Like, they didn't come until oh and this is a crazy story so like this is probably my third match and i had a friend that like looked out for me and like we were good friends since we were little kids and i wrestled for a company by the name of big time wrestling and uh it was going to be at the cyc in scranton this is where i went to see wwf as a kid so i'm like and they're like you have to sell tickets you know so i'm selling tickets to all my family, everything. Now, the whole day, um, I'm going to be in a six-man with this other tag team that I've worked a thousand times, not a thousand times, probably like three times at this point. But, like, I trained with these guys. So, right. like, I'm, like, I'm comfortable as all can be. So we get there, and the, the guy, Mike Mitchell, that's my friend um, forever and ever, uh, he – was like hey plans change he goes uh it's gonna be a six man now and uh jesse's gonna be with you and your partner is gonna be with us so it was i'm like wait so who who else is with us and he's like shane and i'm like shane who who's shane like i'm freaking out now because like so probably four matches before this i've only wrestled jesse and keto the impeccables and I've only teamed with my partner. So now I got this new guy, Shane, I don't know. Jesse that I normally work all the time. So this is like my first time working. I'm working my friend, Mike. So I knew Mike, like no matter what's going to take care of me, like whatever I do, Mike's going to make sure I'm not looking stupid out there. And his partner, John, always looked out for me. And then my partner, Dan. So I'm like comfortable with whatever I'm doing. But I'm like, who's this Shane guy? <laughs> so I, I go up to the promoter. I'm like, hey, uh so it's a six man now. And then the promoter's like, yeah, Shane's in the back. If you want to talk to him. And he's like locker room number three or whatever. Cause like it's separated in the CYC. There's multiple locker rooms. So I open the locker room door, go in the franchise. Shane Douglas is sitting there in a chair. No and I'm fucking like, way. Right. And he goes, hi, Shane. I'm like, John, like, I don't know who the fuck you are. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's, oh, like, man. he's like, he's like, are you who I'm teaming with tonight? And I'm like, uh, I guess. Cause the other person in that locker room is Sabu and he's pacing back and forth. Cause he's wrestling Rob Van Dam that night. So like, he's just walking in circles and he's like, Did you seen Rob yet? And I'm like, uh, uh yeah. Uh, He's, uh, I, I think he's down doing autographs with the rest of them in the basement. He's like, and then Sabu's like, oh shit, they're doing autographs already. And then Shane, Shane was like, yeah, like for an hour now, Sabu, like, you want to get down there? Like, he's like, I'm all done. He's like, I'm getting ready. We're like match two. 
And he's like, kid, what do you do? And I'm like, uh, I, uh he's like, how many matches have you had? And I'm like, four. <laughs> and then like, oh man, like it was crazy. Cause like, now mind you, like my dad has passed since this. So this is the only match my dad has ever seen, but like my dad watched me team with Shane Douglas, which I've idolized since I was a little kid. And like my dad knew who he was and like my whole family's watching my uncle that used to take me to the CYC is watching. So like, it was just like the craziest moment I ever had in wrestling. And like, especially being like your fourth match, like it just was mind blowing. And then he gave me like a big hug after it. And he like whispered like in your ear, he's like, you did a great job, kid. He's like, you got a bright future. Like, you know, wow. congratulations. I'm like, thanks, man. Like, I, and then I whispered back. I'm like, you have no idea how much it means to me to be in this ring with you. And he's like, thank you for that. And then even after the match, he like sat with us all, like everybody that was in the match for 30 minutes. Um, Ken Anderson watched our match. He gave us tips after the match too. Like, it was, I remember like leaving that and I'm like, man, I'm so happy I did this. Like, I'm so happy I got into wrestling. What are the, what are the odds? Right. And I'm like, who the hell is this Shane guy? In Who's this like, Shane guy stomping him. around? Yeah. You go talk to him. Yeah. Go open wow. the door and I'm like, shit. And like Mike knew it was Shane Douglas, but he didn't want to tell me. And he let me go in the door first. So like. He kind of ribbed me with that, but I was like, thank you for not telling me because I don't think I could have walked in that door if I knew who Shane was. So so what was you more nervous about? Going uh, out going out there in front of this crowd in the sixth man or actually teaming with Shane Douglas? Uh, teaming with Shane Douglas, not going to lie. that uh, The crowd was huge that night. I remember how big the crowd was, but like that didn't phase me. I um, – I did high school plays. I was in, um, you know, like I've done powerlifting meets. So like crowds never really affected me. Cause I kind of lost that like effective, like a lot, like I get more uncomfortable when I'm around like two or three people. I always mm -hmm. like, I'm more awkward when it's a couple people, but like when it's a huge audience, I'm completely fine. I can make an ass of myself and just like be okay with that. Like, um, but like being next to Shane Douglas and like literally I'm on the apron with him. He's telling me stuff to do. And I'm like, oh, like, what am I doing? Like, why am I here? Like, how is this happening? And like, that was really the first time I'm like, you have to be a professional now. And like, you're trying to like snap yourself out of it. Like the whole time. And like, even when it was over, I'm like, shit, was I dreaming? Like, was this real? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, you're idolizing Shane Douglas. You're having matches as Shane Douglas. You're cutting yeah. sleeves off of jackets like mm -hmm. Shane Douglas. And then all of a sudden, here you Boom. are, the tag team partner of the franchise, Shane Douglas. Oh, it's like, yeah, I'm. you could retire that night, and I'm pretty yeah. sure you would have said, my career, success. Exactly. Exactly. I always I always tell people that. I'm like, I'm like, my dad got to see me and my mom, like, wrestle with Shane Douglas, like. I, there's there's not much more I could have done and then even like oddly enough I, I just have weird scenarios like this happen like through my career like the first time I had WWE extra work Stone Cold Steve Austin is doing a podcast with Edge and Christian I'm at catering I'm getting salmon and like 
not going to lie, the salmon was really good. So I got myself two pieces. <laughs> and I just turn, and he's doing, like, the walk to the ring walk. And I'm like, oh, shit. That's <laughs> Steve Austin, like, walking towards me. No one's behind me in line. He saw you take that second piece. <laughs> so, so I think I will get there. He, uh, he looks at me, and he goes, is the salmon that good, kid? Should I get two? And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, it's I go I go. It's actually my third, and then he goes, he goes, keeping high protein. I like that. And then he just was like, he's like, I'm a, I'm gonna get two just because you got two. And then he put two on his, and I'm like, holy shit! I just talked to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, like there's another time I was just like, wow, like, the Dragon I, Slayer, right? The goddamn Dragon Slayer. And I didn't even say it. <laughs> Man, it, it seems like everything's full circle. Oh yeah, you know everything so far with you, and uh, later later on tonight, it's, it's it's a theme for the night. Yeah, coming full circle. Yeah, you know you being younger, you got Shane yeah. Douglas. You know you got you know you're, you're giving you're giving dinner advice. Yeah, how, yeah, how many people can sit there and say, "Hey, I, I gave Stone Cold some dinner advice." You know, yeah, yeah. The, the, Told me he had to he had to bulk up in the protein. Get, get two spices. Well, I mean, Jesus, I wouldn't have said that. I was yeah. just like, oh, it's really good, sir. You just seem to be the guy at the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's that. Especially in those two moments, I like lucked out. I really lucked out, and like I just, you know, uh, one of the guys I I also trained at the sanctuary after I trained at Backbreakers to get like some different training. Um, John. Uh, his name is John Trotsky um, that runs that. He uh, he always calls me the Forrest Gump. He's like, he's you randomly just meet your idols and be at the right spot at the right time. Um, I, I was at another big time wrestling event and like, I always love Ric Flair too. And uh, here, here we go. Yeah, Ric Flair is like, he's just like cutting this promo and like with Steamboat and then he comes back through and uh, there's this wrestling team and he like comes over. He's like, Richard, um, <laughs> Richard. <laughs> like, I, know, I love, I love when they come up and introduce themselves to me. I'm just like, you don't even have to say your name. I know who you are. And like, he gave you his government name. Yeah. He's like Richard. Um, I'm just like, Holy crap. And then that night, uh, steamboat watched my match and they just gave me like such a good critique and like, man, like, it it it's just wild, like some of the stuff that I randomly end up in situations with, you know. Did 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 you end up telling Ricky the Dragon Slayer stuff? No. Uh, uh yes, I did, and he like kind of giggled, and he was like, "Well, he's like, I wish you loved my yellow outfit," and I'm like, "I remember your yellow outfit, but I don't know what it was about Steve that I I just I like the 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 Dragon Slayer for some reason." He's like. He did have cool hair then. He's like, he doesn't anymore. And I was like, he doesn't. <laughs> he has no hair. Oh, my gosh. It is crazy, all the different stories that you have. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. So you start wrestling. Obviously, you know, my condolences, obviously, to, to your family, oh, thank um, you. for your dad. But I will say this. Once again, everything is happens for a reason, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And it was meant for your dad to be in the stands in that arena that night to see you walk out with Shane Douglas to have an amazing moment. And that was meant to happen. 
Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt in my mind. And I think that is so cool on a wrestling perspective, but a father-son perspective is even cooler. So I'm really glad that you shared that. Yeah, no, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. Like, it, it really was like, and that's like the match he got to see. So like, I always tell people like, you know, I didn't do a lot in that match, but like, every time I, you know, tell that story, I'm like, the most important thing is like, I'm in there with Shane. I'm in there with my friends. I trained with the one friend that I've been friends with since we were like in college. And we both decided to start this wrestling journey together. And like the guy I idolized, like is teaming with me and like my whole family's there. My uncle's there. My mom's there. Like my brothers were like, just childhood friends were there. Like it, it was, it was like, like you said, like if it all ended that night, like I would have been okay with it, you know, luckily now, it didn't, but you know, now what have it meant more to you for him to be on the team? Like he was hmm? or across the ring from you today. I would have loved to have him across the ring. Then definitely I was not ready for that. You know, like I, I was, way better off with him in my corner because he was literally just like as soon as i said i've only had like four matches he just he just coached me the whole time it was really cool to be like in there and like like at that point like especially like four matches in you kind of have your little match mapped out and if something goes wrong you don't know what the hell to do like something went wrong like uh the one thing i'm always good at like i've always been good at just like especially if i'm in there with a vet just listen like i'm not I'm not the one leading the match. Like I'm just listening and following whatever they say. And like, especially fourth match in, like I, I wouldn't have known what to do with Shane Douglas. I mean, I'm sure he could have carried me through a match, but like it was a way better experience that he was next to me, literally just coaching me the whole time. And like, and then like the pointers he gave us afterwards and like gave us a little speech of like, you know, this is where you start, but you know, it's only up from here guys. And like, and then, like, Ken Anderson coming over and watch, like, he literally just, like, he didn't have to watch our match. Like, he went there and watched our match. Like, he didn't have to do that. He just did that out of the kindness of his heart. So I can never say a bad thing about Ken, you know? So you're wrestling and you're getting your feet wet. You have four matches at the, this point underneath your belt. Did you find that at that time getting booked was a difficult thing? Or was it something that your name kind of quickly gets around certain circles and, hey, this person's a good worker, et cetera, et cetera. People speak up for you, whatnot. Um, how did you kind of start to get your name and your recognition out there that you're a person that somebody should hire? Um, luckily enough, I just had people that ended up liking me and thought I was a good talent and I had a good look. So a lot of people would you know extend the hand be like hey like you know they might not be paid for you or anything like that but you know you could probably get on this show so i was doing any show i possibly could and like i it was it's it was you know not that tough to get booked at first for me um i i just i and i would i would always reach out and say like hey i'll help set up the ring i'll help take down the ring as long as you know as long as i got I'll look just even like to talk to the promoter and then I would end up, you know, helping set up the ring and then I'd be in a match and then I'd, I'd end up getting booked on the show either steady or 
it may have been a one-time thing and then somewhere down the road I came back, you know. I see that you've spent, you know, some time in like true wrestling and Pennsylvania Premier. Obviously, wrestling, we're yeah. going to get to that as far as well. But what are some other the places that you've worked in that you really, really enjoyed it from either the promoter standpoint or the camaraderie in the locker room or just the way the fans responded to you? What were some places that you were like, yeah, can't wait to come back here? Uh, the sanctuary was always big for me. I'm, I'm still there now. I'm their current like king at the time that right now. Um, that place, I kind of got to find myself like, well, uh, I, I have a good bond with John Trotsky. I, I, I literally look at him like as my wrestling dad and he, he kind of lets me just try things like, and there it's always like a promo or a skit that sets up the match. And like, I really like my whole life, like I loved promos. So like, that was like one of the things like. Um, I wanted to develop because like, you know, when I started out, obviously, I mean, some people are good right off the bat, but I wasn't, I wasn't good at promos. I, I, you know, I, I just wasn't. So he would make me do them and then he would, you know, let me experiment with my character, try something new. Um, he would put me under a mask just to make me use like my body language more instead of my facials. Cause he always told me like, even when like I was starting out, he's like, your facials are good. He's like, I, I need you to work more on your body. So like, that's the place I always consider home, like the sanctuary. Cause I, I, I got to grow up there. I got to like try things as were other places. Like, you know, it's like, you're out there. Like you have to be on your a game, like, like a PPW for instance, like, um, when now PPW is the first promotion out of my training school um, after big time that I was at, but like, you know, like I was thrown right into the fire. Like, honestly, I probably shouldn't have been on PPW at that point because I was just starting out, but like I was thrown right into the fire there. And like, yeah, it's, it's tough competition there. Even now, like you guys know, you see the shows, like there's a lot of big names and like I was out there like three months in or four months in, whatever it was. Um, where at the sanctuary, you know, like they don't bring in names all the time. So I got to try a little bit more. I got to experiment. So then I would take whatever I tried or experimented with at the sanctuary out to the world. Um, also excellence, professional wrestling. Like I never got, I was always more of a, like, originally I started out as the man, Johnny Moran. So like, it was a serious cocky douchey heel. Like I didn't get to play like comedy much, but then like, um, at excellence professional wrestling uh i got to experiment with comedy i never i never got to do comedy and wrestling and there was a lot of guys from chikara there and then i ended up teaming with green ant um and we became ant-man and he was more serious because he was always more comedy and then i got to be comedy so i i really got to broaden my horizon there and experiment with comedy because a lot of times people didn't want the comedy out of me they just wanted the serious douchebag eel um I'm trying to think of other promotions. Uh, Titan Championship Wrestling that I, I wrestle for currently. Um, I've been in a program with Steve Monster Mac for a year now, and like the build to the championship match that we're having, like he's literally. I've I've never had a vet like um, just take charge of like the promotion and say like, all right, if I'm going to wrestle this kid, like. I want this program to last a year. And everybody was like, Oh, I don't know if this will actually last a year. And he's like, just trust me. 
and he made sure all my matches like i had the correct opponents i had the correct losses correct wins like he really uh took me under his wing and just showed everything i had to offer um i'm the current above me uh nycw champion that's the first company that honestly ever believed in me to be a heavyweight champion um it was right when i because like obviously becky lynch became the man so like i was going through that awkward stage where i didn't know what i was going to be i was just johnny moran the wrestler at that point like just johnny moran i didn't know what I, like what my next moniker was and then you know i was getting like kind of bitter with not with wrestling i was just getting bitter of like a lot of people were like man you have potential you have a lot of potential and i was just like kind of sick of hearing like you have potential like you have potential like and i always felt like people weren't believing in me and that's kind of where the dark horse johnny moran came from and like people are like well how can you be the dark horse um if you're a champion and stuff like that so that's where i said it's a dark horse mentality and that's why i'm called the dark horse because i always go into the matches now um with a chip on my shoulder and you know people didn't believe in me to start out so when i'm out there i'm way more aggressive now i'm way more violent and i make you believe in me by the end of the match so that's that's a little bit of uh history of me and a bunch of the promotions i've been in how much do you believe that a good grasp of psychology is important in putting a match together oh god it's it's the key you you have to um you know, to me, it's it's always telling a story. Like, all those high spots, you know, that's great. But, you know, I, I'm i out there to tell a story. And, like, the psychology, it, whether it be a big man versus a little man or two big men versus each other, like, you, you got to know how to tell that. Like, I feel like a lot of day or a lot of stuff now, like, you kind of just get lost because it's just move after move after move after move. And you don't get, you don't get caught up. And, like, I, I really think like selling is almost a lost art anymore. And that that's the thing that captivates you. That's what gets you to feel and you need that. And I, I hate when I see it's just like move after move after move. Like I, I love to go out there and tell a story, no matter what the story is. Like if you give me a story, like give me a story and give me 12 minutes or even 10 minutes and uh, I'll, I'll have them wrapped by the end. Like, when I'm out there, I'm I'm constantly listening. And that's another thing that I know a lot of people don't do. Like, they don't listen to the crowd. They have what they wrote in their brain or whatever they have written in the back. And they just go off of that. They're not listening to the crowd. And that's who pays to come see you. And if they're not interested anymore, they're probably not going to come back. And guess what? then the promotion loses, then you lose, because then you're going to lose this promotion. So to me, it's always been, you know, tell a story, listen to the crowd. Um, I have a little bit more of an old school mentality. I guess. That's, that's the wrestling I like. Who do you think, in your opinion, Johnny, has right now just the total package? I mean, I know that's that's saying a lot about anybody because I know there's areas that everybody can work upon and get better at, but let's talk about psychology and selling. Is there anybody out there right now who, you know, man, they have that down pat. 
Now, is this indie workers or are we talking like uh, big time promotions? Just anybody who crosses your mind. Um, to me, it's Randy Orton, Roman Reigns, and a guy in NXT UK by the name of Joe Coffey. Um, those are those are my three. Those are the three that I I constantly watch because they go out there, they tell stories. You know what I mean? They sell. Like you could see the emotion on their faces. Like, and that that's what I look for. You know, I want to get wrapped up. I want to forget that I'm like. I don't want to like watch a match and be like, I'm studying this to like learn how to do this better. Like I want, I want to get lost. I want to forget that I'm watching it, not studying it. Like I, I want to get lost. And if you can make me get lost, that's when I know to me, I know you're, you're a good worker to me. Yeah. Jerry, uh, Jerry always sit there and told me, you've got to give the crowd time to react. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't sit there and just keep going from move to move. You got to let them react. And then go to the next step. Yeah. No, completely agree. Oh, no. I see the look on your face. I see the look, and I know that there's going to be Johnny, an avid listener. Uh I apologize ahead of time, Johnny. I have nothing to do with this. My hands are washed. He has been waiting for me to ask this to him. Since the day I went and messaged him and said, hey, you want to be a part of of the podcast. Yes. He has been waiting for this forever. <laughs> so here we go. Hot tub time machine. Oh boy. You can, <laughs> you can go back in the time to any match in history. Any match. Take somebody out of that match and you are going in the match, Johnny. What match is it and why? Uh WrestleMania 13. And it's gonna be Brett and Stone Cold, and I could be anybody, right? I, yes. I'm prepared for this. I'm the freaking timekeeper because I just want to. I want to be right next to that ring. I want to feel the audience. I want to feel Steve and Brett just going full, you know, like fully at it. Like that match is beautiful. And at some point, Steve's probably gonna run into me. And I'm going to be like, holy shit, I just got hit by Steve Austin. (laughs) I'm good enough with that. I would not change Brett. I wouldn't change Steve. I wouldn't take, I'm pretty sure Earl's the ref in that. No, no, Ken. Is it Ken? Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is Ken. Kenny Shams. Yeah, he throws uh, Brett off at the end. I forgot about that. And they have that little, like, moment at the end. That match is so good, you almost forget about that little moment at the end. Because you always think to, like, Steve doing the the gimp out and all that blood man i yeah i, I would just want to be the the timekeeper there just sitting there and getting the full experience of that there's a lot of matches that i would just sit there and be the timekeeper like that position is probably one of the best positions if you're out there cuz you get to enjoy the entire damn show you get to experience the crowd you get to experience the match and you don't have to work at all except like make sure that time's on. I told people before, you know what I love to be in the NFL? A backup kicker. I'll be a yeah. backup quarterback. I don't yeah. care. I'll wear the outfit. I'll yep. get front row seats. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. not a hurt. Not yeah. a hurt. You give yeah. me 60K a year. Not a hurt. Lifetime contract. I'll keep myself healthy. I don't yeah. care. I'm good yeah. to go. Uh, NFL. Give me, I'll be Brett Favre's backup quarterback in the day. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. That man never got hurt. Nope. 
You could be on IR and still be on the sideline. Yeah. Not not a problem. Because Brett was on IR on the field. Yeah. 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 Wow. Johnny, it has been awesome getting a chance to talk to you and hear some of your stories. I know there's so many more and there's so much more meat on the bone. Um, We would love to get a chance to bring you back again. Talk wrestling. Just also get to know more about you as well, because I feel like there's so many layers um, that we just haven't gotten a chance to get to yet. But can we welcome you back again? Oh, of course. Uh, it was an honor to be on. Seriously, like, like I said, like I was literally in the ring with Mikey when I don't know if he was talking to you or Jerry or maybe it was a three way chat or whatever it was. Um, and he was like, "You got to listen to this. We're gonna do it next week." And then it drops in two weeks or something. I forget what he said. And I remember I listened to the first episode and I haven't stopped since. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your, your loyalty and, you know, things change over time, but some yeah. things never get old. And we absolutely love what we do each and every week by bringing the world of wrestling to our audience and getting them to know the people who are in and the business and from their stories and perspectives. So Johnny, awesome. Thank you so much. And where can Thank people you. follow you and get merchandise and all that kind of stuff, autographs, the whole nine yards, go ahead and give your spiel. Um, I have a Twitter and Instagram. It's Johnny Moran underscore on my Twitter and Instagram. There is a link tree. It has a link to my uh, Teesprings where you can get t-shirts and merchandise. Actually in that link tree, you can get my Facebook like page and, uh, my YouTube, which I, as soon as a match comes out or if, as soon as I have a match, if they don't record it there, I'll have somebody record it for me. Um, you could literally watch any match I've, that there's like maybe six or seven matches I don't have on there that span my whole career. Nice. Yeah. That is awesome. We'll make sure we plug that on our channel as well. Thank Um, you. Thank you so much. I got to sit there and ask, is the Shane Douglas match on there? Yep. I think it's on there multiple times because I had, but you know, like family members recorded it. I had had the actual footage from the show that has like the commentary over it. You'll see that on there too. Like I'll put in the description, like fan footage because there's no commentary and, some people don't want to sit through, you know, 15 minutes of just noise. We do. Yeah, I appreciate it. Real wrestling fans, yeah. we will. We'll sit yeah. there. Hey, I appreciate it. People sit through three hours of just listening to this noise yeah, every well, week. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, I saw, I mean, a real professional wrestler. Yeah, we're going to watch that. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. You have yourself a great night, and we'll talk to you down the road. Oh, you too. Thank you, guys. All right. How about that? That guy's cool, and and he's just so laid back and relaxed. And it's fun hearing stories that people have to share. But think about that, Rick, being being Johnny right there. Like, that's like idolizing Hulk Hogan or idolizing The Undertaker or whatever it is. And a couple of matches in, all of a sudden, hey, you're teaming with Terry. Who's Terry? Knock, knock, knock. The Hulk himself is in there. Or, oh, yeah. Mark's in there. Knock, knock, knock. Yes. It's the undertaker. Like that, in my opinion, is the coolest experience because the world that you lived in, and now you're entering this other world. And yet the world that you know that you're a fan, it's like worlds collide. And it's like, how, if you're Johnny, do you even keep your shit straight because I know that I would be, I would do two things. I would run right to the bathroom. I'd lock myself in the stall, and I, I would probably start like texting people, like, "You're not gonna believe what's happening right now." Like, it would be just one of those crazy moments. I mean, 
I don't know. I thought it was the coolest story. I really Cra did. Crazier than the time that that you know that fight broke out and you're on the stall. You're Not lucky. You're lucky. I deleted that one. I'm glad you did, and I do appreciate that because you're always looking out for me. Yeah. But but, uh, but I love talking to Johnny, and it's it's just there's so much sincerity in his voice and the way he talks about wrestling and the way he loves wrestling. It's one of those things where, and I've said this before to people, this is why you root for people. This is why you become a fan of people. Like when you hear stories of them, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I connect with that person. Now I'm going to go watch them. You know, whether it was anybody that we've had on the show before, we've always had that thing about our guests that people walk away from and they DM me and they say, loved it because of this or loved it because of that. Um, I never knew this or I never knew that or I really got into this person's story of how they got into the business or, man, I felt the same way they did. So like there's that instant connection right there. And then all of a sudden that connection turns into you becoming a supporter and a fan of that person. And I think that's what makes independent wrestling so awesome is because you get the abilities to be that up close and personal with all of these superstars and you get to know them. And I don't know, for me, it's cool. It's, it's like peeking, uh, peeking through the curtain and being able to get to know these men and women a little bit closer. Hey, but that's what we're doing here on future stars. Now, you know, we're sitting there and giving, giving the fans a little insight, a little, little peek behind the curtain to the indie stars that one day will be the stars they see on TV. How many how many guests have we had, Freeland, that, hey, they're on AEW Dark? Yeah. You know, numerous ones. Numerous, tons of people. So, but... And, and, and here's the other thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll shut up after I say this, but it's like, it's not just the big companies. Like, there are people who are icons and legends in wrestling. And just because you're not with a quote-unquote major company... It doesn't necessarily always mean everything. There are legions of fans, um, you know, with the WrestleCade weekend and WrestleMania weekend and all these promotions that are going. People have the individuals that they absolutely love to follow. They have their cult followings. And uh, we've said this before, follow all of these people, okay? Too many times people get enamored with the people that are on TNT or USA or whatever it may be. Follow everybody because i guarantee there's going to be people that you're going to be like man they should be on usa or tnt but you know what i love them so much i'm going to follow them and i'm going to support them exactly there's my spiel okay well hour one in the books let's hit our favorite commercial coming back freeland for hour two who's the guest we have we, we have gray wolf he's joining us it's going to be awesome I have read up and done research and learned about this individual. An incredible story, an incredible wrestling career, incredible look, and everything. You will get the whole Gory Wolf experience right after this. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me. Too sexy for my shirt, too sexy for my shirt, so sexy, 
it hurts. You know, too sexy for Milan. Too sexy for Milan, New York and Japan. Take it. Sexy for your party. Too sexy for your party. No way. I am disco dancing. I'm a model. You know what I mean. And I do my little turn on the cowwalk. Yeah, on the cowwalk. On the cowwalk. Yeah, I do my little turn on the cowwalk. Back to the program. It is Tuesday night. It is front row material now. Just got done with a great episode of Future Stars. Now, if you happen to miss our amazing interview, uh, you definitely go ahead and get a chance to catch it once we go off the air. Uh, Johnny Moran was awesome. I uh, told some great stories, and uh, we're definitely going to have him back again. Man, I'm just wondering. Our next guest is probably after seeing that commercial that we played probably thinking what the hell did i get myself into yeah no mom with you this next guy is scary scary but in a good way the guy's got an incredible look um has had an incredible wrestling career so far and i am so excited to be able to go ahead and talk to him and introduce him to our audience as well so let's go ahead and let's bring him on right now welcome to the program this is gray wolf raventhorn how you doing tonight buddy I'm well, really, really amused by your music video, I must say. But it yeah, is. I almost feel I should have had a part for that. I'm too sexy for my hood, too sexy for my hood. Isn't <laughs> that good? I, I think I that would have worked very well. Uh, first of all, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, relaxing. Sort of a stressful, rough day, but getting to relax a little bit. So doing much better. Always good. Have a good meal, sit down a little bit and... 
sort of unwind. Well, you know, I was doing research and obviously I've watched uh, a lot of different things that you've been in and your wrestling career has been amazing so far. Um, you, you definitely have a style and a presence that is unique in, in a world where there are a lot of people who are different versions of other people. You have a very unique look and it's very intimidating. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who walk up to you that say, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> you say, ironically, you say walk up to me. Usually it's, oh, wait a second, they walk the other way. So that's really, <laughs> they don't want to approach me. No, the fans are really good. The fans are, you know, during intermissions, I usually talk to several fans. So I like to engage with them quite a bit. Um, but yes, I, I try to remain distinct. I, I feel that we as wrestlers are not just performers in the sense that we use our bodies as a mechanism for which to express ourselves, but in the fact that we are very artists to our very core. I mean, to express ourselves via professional wrestling medium is a craft, and mm -hmm. within every craft is an art. You master the craft and express yourself via the vehicle of the craft through your art, and the art is your expression. So I feel like in being an artist as I am, this is also how I express myself. So I try to bring something unique and something different, for artists are creators, and I try to bring something in this, into this world as an extension of myself that maybe nobody has seen yet. So if I see something that's too mundane or too oversaturated, I often try to deter my creative vision from that direction and craft something completely anew, which other people can model and, and you know have influence and perhaps breathe life into their own creativity through the mechanism of the vehicle I provide for them via my own creative entity. You come across as a very deep intellectual thinker when it comes to a lot of things, and it seems like you also incorporate a lot of that uh, into what you do as well in the ring. So I guess kind of right off the bat, a, a general question would be, sure. what made you decide to use the world of professional wrestling as your canvas? Well, if you follow um, much of my work, um, this is just the one I I have a great passion for it. Um, a sort of live theater and art and the ability to express yourself with your body and do that. But I, what I do extends beyond just the media of the professional wrestling world. I was, um, had a classical education as an artist, uh, specifically Renaissance painting and sculpture. Um, I've done a little bit of poetry. I've done wood carving. Um, I've done some music. I've composed. I do graphic design, a little bit of photography here and there. I, I sort of, um, any sort of art and crafts, anything I get my hands on really that sort of engages me in the moments. Um, strange fact, a few people know this. If I wasn't a professional wrestler, I likely would have been a musician. So it, I sort of find myself uh, encapsulated by many different art forms. This one seems to be the one I was about which I was most passionate and really could thrust myself the fullness of my being and feel that I could give something to it that has maybe never been given before. What do you feel like when you're in the ring that allows you con to connect the most with the fans? Is there one aspect or is it the whole package um, that makes you feel like you are connecting with your audience uh, at any moment? That's a good question. It's an interesting question. How would I describe it? It's almost as if there's swirls of energy. Um sort of just going about the room and you sort of tap into that energy and you feel that when you make eye contact with somebody and when you make eye contact you can almost feel the emotion that's deep within them and they can feel the emotion that's being projected from you 
And I think once you make that contact, it's just like these worlds of energy all around it just become one with you and you become one with that energy and it just bolsters that which you're already doing. I mean, they could, they've said, you know, you'd rather have be wrestling in front of five fans that are raucous and rowdy than 5,000 that are sitting on their hands. And I fully believe that because when they're raucous and rowdy and they're really passionately engaged with you, it's almost like music. You're creating music. You're creating poetry. You're engaging with your crowd and you're creating something beautiful and you're connecting in that way. So I think once I establish that connection and I can really feel that energy, it's almost like they're giving it to you. You know, whether you're a baby face and you're a good guy, you know, clapping your hands and they're shouting your name, you just channel that energy and funnel it through yourself into an extension of what you're doing. Or as a heel, they're giving you a different energy, but it's energy nonetheless that you can again funnel and focus and bring forth and give back to them fully. So it's almost like cyclical patterns of recipro reciprocating energy back and forth. And it's this beautiful um, sort of symphony, I feel. Uh, that you create with your fans when you're there. They often say that in sports, specifically football, because we're in that season right now, the fan is the 12th man on the field. You know, And I also have been a big believer in the fans are actually another part or they're an extension of the match itself because so much of what you do is based upon how they respond and vice versa. Um, can you describe what that's like when you are in an atmosphere where it is a big time match and you haven't even touched yet, but you can just look around, you pan the room or the, the arena and you just all of a sudden get this, this jolt of energy that you may not have had even prior to coming through the curtain. I'm sorry. What's the frame of the question? I, I seem well, like more of a, what, what, what's that like as far as being able to give you just that little extra Oh, it's it's phenomenal, um, and it, it's almost function like a ripple effect, like throwing a big stone into a pond. Sometimes it's quiet, and all it takes is looking out or hearing that one person, and they start going. And then the person next to them starts going, and then the person across the room from them starts going, and then you have this just cacophony of noise and passion that you can draw from, and it can change something in an instant. I mean, I've gone out there conversely, and been in matches where I thought everything was good that what we were doing but nobody seemed to be responding and that's it's hard when you're in front of a crowd like that that you're giving it everything you have and it just seems to almost nullify that passion within you when you're doing your best and nobody seems to be responding but even if that one person responds or if that car few people respond then you know you've connected and it sort of refreshes you anew and gives you new breathes new life with you, gives you a new beginning and can really give you that jolt get that extra just ounce of energy that to give something a little bit more than you had before you know it's like when maybe an opera singer or you know guitarist hits that high note you know the national anthem is a good one you know and the rockets red glare you hear them ascend to the ceiling with a high note and with such passion and draw and the audience responds to that and viscerally the musician naturally responds in turn by giving more energy that the audience has given them because they say, you know, energy never never retires and never dies. It just changes form. And I believe that is so in a metaphorical sense as well when it comes to the wrestling business. That the energy never sort of dies. And once it's there, it just sort of changes forms. It metamorphosizes into something different, which we can get back. Do you, looking back on your career so far, do you know uh, or can recollect a moment uh, or a match where 
it was just that. It was the perfect storm. It was the perfect storm of emotions. The the fans were in it from the beginning to the end, and it was something that you consider one of your greatest works. Well, that's a difficult question. Um, I know there was one in particular, and I don't think it was my best match per se, as far as the chemistry being there. It, the the moves weren't. It's it was sort of you know it was like listening to a um, song with an out of tune instrument almost. I feel. But imagine somebody loving that song so much that everybody's into it. And it doesn't matter how it sounds. Everybody just has such passion. This is um, a match in Delaware a few years ago for uh, a title called the Valhalla Division's title. And it was against a good friend of mine. I'd known him several years from when I'd gotten the wrestling business. Um, maybe my first or second year in, I'd met him. His name Matt Wilde. And he was holding the Valhalla Division's title. And the next thing we know, you know, all... People are surrounding the ring. All the boys from the back are surrounding the ring, and he shoot changes the finish on me. And oh, whoa! Unbeknownst to me, I put him in a submission hold, and he tapped out and says, um, "Congratulations!" And sort of all the boys from the back were there, and they were clapping and applauding. And I was almost, you know, legitimately in tears because I was so surprised this happened. Now, the history behind the Valhalla Division's title is there's someone I'd like to give a personal shout out to. Um, it's just a phenomenal human being, Robbie Blizzard is the curator of this Valhalla Visions title. So, Robbie, if you happen to be listening or listen back to this, this is for you and I appreciate you. Um, his band is, band is called Valhalla Visions. You know, he has all sorts of shirts, all sorts of merchandise, um, which I recommend uh, checking out if you get a chance. Um, he's the one who had presented this belt and developed this belt. And it was a traveling title from promotion to promotion. And he only felt it should be bestowed on the most worthy person that could have it. And I expected to go in and put over Matt Wilde that night and having changed the finish and unbeknownst to myself all the boys in the back knew after I'd already gone out to the ring that you know what was going to happen and so at the end of that you know I, I just all the, they came into the ring and they're all applauding and it was just a very very um the match itself is it's a little lackluster but at the moment itself that we created there because it was a moment of pure passion it was a moment um of pure emotion it was something organic and genuine that didn't have to be scripted or rehearsed or planned um, it was just something we brought into the ether in the moment, and everybody responded beautifully to it. Us as well. It was a very emotional moment for everyone involved. Would you also agree that sometimes a great match doesn't necessarily have to encapsulate great moves or, you know, from a technical standpoint, but as long as the audience was engaged and you told them the story and they went on that ride with you, Obviously, as a professional, you do want to have everything be crisp and everything work um, just the way you had imagined it or had imagined it in your mind. But do you still think sometimes the emotion can actually transcend what physicality happened in the match and it can make a match that would have been so-so actually really great? You know, I feel that... Um we tie ourselves too much to what we predetermine and what we rehearse and what we feel like we have in our mind. But then we dismiss, in a sense, and omit from the realm of possibility the organic influence, again, going back to the crowd. And they play an integral part. If they're not responding to something in a specific way, we have to change it instantaneously so they do respond in the way that we would rather than do it. And we can't predict that sometimes because crowds can be fickle. And sometimes you don't know exactly who might be in the crowd and who might be influencing what or what they may have seen previously that might have... Been. There's a number of things that alter the, the mindset and state of being. Um, 
classic example though um there, there's i've seen so many five star matches with you know the, from a technical advantage where people's moves are tight and crisp and nobody cared um and then i like to bring to the forefront obviously my probably i, I consider the best match of all time for the reasons uh, you've enumerated already hogan andre from a technical standpoint it was it was an amateur throwaway match on a mid-card level on a house show yep from an emotional build-up and from a storytelling perspective and from the fans that were invested in how they were invested in every breath that these wrestlers took it, it can't be replicated another one I, I like to use hogan as an example because he's like he was a master of his craft even though he gets uh, dismissed quite a few times especially by people in the internet generation oh he couldn't work no he could he could point a finger and have someone back off and the crowd would erupt into uh, into a sea of uh cheers just by raising his finger that's how that's usually how do you distinguish a worker not whether he could do a 360 or 450 moonsault or the, it was any sort of you know flippy tiger name it any silly move um that's the method of a worker that has people so engaged that everything you say and everything you do at the tip of a finger can be manipulated you manipulate their emotions thusly and i, I just feel that from that perspective hogan andre was probably the best match of all time and then the second um my personal favorite which is arguable um hogan rock wrestlemania 18 again mm. another absolute masterpiece where the crowds were invested in every single thing they did they turned their heads either way and they looked at each other and people jumped to their feet yeah that is, uh, that is a sign of a master there you know, you talked uh, about some people that you had worked with and, and you really had enjoyed and, and you gave a shout out. Are there other people that you also have worked with in the past um, that you look at and, and you look at the body of work you've created with them and you say, man, it's just it's just chemistry. It's just gold. It's one of these things that we don't really have to say a whole lot to each other. It's just like you said before, it's very organic. It's just very natural. It's It's very much a dance. Is there anybody else that you feel like happens when you step in the ring all of a sudden oh, it's just absolutely. let's dance someone i've been feuding with for over a decade off and on through several promotions through several different states um the vampire that blasted damned bloody filthy stinking putrid decaying undead piece of filth i must pay homage to the vamp king kindred kamari as you know you know in literature and fiction and lore the vampire and the uh the werewolf or the wolf just you know on constant turmoil with one another well so it has been for over a decade with kindred and myself and we've had a no disqualification matches for no false count anywhere matches um just title matches right just regular matches we've had so many matches over the years but every time i step in the ring with uh, kindred kamari i just feel like magic happens and i just feel like we don't really need to say much we don't need to do much we're both sort of on the same page with one another and we beat the bloody hell out of each other and that's a shoot we, we we really beat each other up and we go back i hug him afterwards and i'll see i say i'll see you next time i beat you up and it's it's just how, it, how it's been going for years and i don't think that's a feud that'll ever end and i hope it doesn't because i'm oh i never get tired of um bludgeoning the bloody bat uh kindred kimari so yes he's he's definitely um uh, one example he's the first example that comes to my mind um another one and i i someone i haven't seen nor have i um wrestled in quite some time the last time i did was at a training session at ring of honor it was um brian johnson what he called himself now i think believe he calls himself the mecca 
Brian Johnson from uh, Ring of Honor right now. Um, somebody that's uh, insanely talented on so many levels who I just, I came up with him. I believe he started a few months in the business before I did. He was just getting there as I was arriving. We had the same trainer, same facility. We'd wrestled together for years. And we'd had a several year lull where we hadn't seen each other. And um, I remember picking up after not having seen him and he just transformed his body completely. And he was cutting promos that were just out of this world, outrageously unbelievable. And getting in the ring with him at Ring of Honor, it was just like we had never missed a step. Um, and I believe it's just from having trained together so long and just you know, there's things that we would do and things that we didn't have to say a word. Uh, one of the things he always liked to do to me was give me a snap mail, lick his hand and smack my bald head. I don't know why he did it, but he still does it to this day when I see him. Um, but no, props to him because every time I step in the ring with him, it's sort of, uh, it's just a remarkable chemistry. Um, it's sort of indescribable. I guess they were sort of ring brothers, I guess you could say. So Brian, you're watching. Congratulations on where you are and what you're doing. I'm very impressed. I'm very proud of you. It's so interesting you bring up uh, training because training has been a very big part of your career. Um, you obviously have a ph phenomenal physique. Um, bodybuilding, powerlifting, all of these kinds of things yep. are uh, credits to you. And not only from the standpoint of of what your your body has become, the final product, but it also instills a lot of discipline as well. And it takes a lot of mental um, energy to stay focused on stuff like this. So what first kind of got you enthralled with the world of bodybuilding and um, how did that dovetail into powerlifting or maybe that happened vice versa? That's an interesting question. Strangely, um, when I was a youth, I got my first weight set because I knew if you wanted to be a professional wrestler, you needed to be big and you needed to be strong. So the first thing I wanted to do was to start lifting weights. And I sort of clumsily uh, stammered about, you know, doing what I thought I knew without any real direction. Um, then I had, um, at one point, joined an older bodybuilding gym called Manuel's Gym, sort of a hole in the wall in Trenton, New Jersey, um, right in a little polo section off the uh, off, uh, main strip there. Some very small gym. Everything was sort of ramshackle, falling apart. And I loved every minute of it. It was a gym specifically for bodybuilders. And the man who owned it, his name was Joe Dodd. He was like a surrogate father to me. I, I you know, rest, rest his soul, as it may. Um, so I began training there. Within a few, within a few uh, weeks, I began with a trainer there. Now, you, you, when you think trainer, in today's sort of terms, you think of fitness center person with a big smile across their face, grinning deeply. You know, with his probably has you know eats his avocados and maybe weighs one hundred eighty pounds. It was nice <laughs> and fit. Yeah, no, 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 no. The person that trained me um, originally was a man. He's about five foot six, but his trapezius muscles came up to his ears. Um, he had a completely tattooed head, a big white beard, and gauges all over his ears, and he'd scream at people. You'd think he'd have a position as a drill sergeant, but they, he'd probably scare them as well. I remember I said, that's the man who's going to train. And I sort of got into bodybuilding. And this is, I went started going to the gym because I wanted to be a professional wrestler. I completely, from that time, transformed my physique over there, and I steer through discipline of training and diet and, and just conditioning myself to a completely different lifestyle. Um, and Joe Dodd, the man who owned it, as I said, was like a surrogate father to me. He sort of became my primary mentor in the world of bodybuilding. So I started looking good, and everybody there was a bodybuilder. It's like, oh, well, you're looking good. Why don't you, you know, start the bodybuilding? So, and the next thing you know, I'm in a pad of 
nothing but a pair of small trunks, and I'm on a bodybuilding stage with a big smile on my face, hitting different poses. And uh, so that was very, very early on. And then later on, it's just sort of a long, long road. I've done, done body, did bodybuilding for several years. Later on, I began tr making friends with someone there who was a powerlifter. And there was an entire powerlifting team. So I had many powerlifting friends, but I began specifically training with a powerlifter who um, was a member there as well. And he's uh, uh, strangely, he became a wrestler. His name is uh, Steven Zima. I believe he wrestles somewhere under the gargantuan. Um, I'm not sure which circuit. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen him in quite some time. He sets all you know, different powerlifting records in. I had done powerlifting, powerlifting meets with him. I never competed. I was trained to compete for a myriad of reasons. It just never came to fruition. But I was always backstage with him, training like a powerlifter with him and setting numbers. You know, um, before I'd injured my knee in 2016, I was deadlifting 700 pounds. I was um, bench pressing. I, I began injuring my chest. I mean, I used to bench press um, 400 pounds, you know, four or five, four sets of 10. Um, after a few injuries, you know, I went down. I don't do more than 315 now. Before I hurt myself, it was I was doing uh, 315 for sets of 30, you know, deadlifting or squatting, you know, um, 585 for say, sets of six to eight. So this, these are sort of the numbers I was I was doing, but I never actually had competed. Um, I also did strongman because he did strongman as well. So I'd gone backstage with strongman and trained sort of for that a little bit as well. So I, I sort of trained in all sorts of different ways. And then it just led, I eventually followed my path as a professional wrestler with this as my background, which I feel has been very beneficial to me and sort of put me ahead of the curve a little bit as it is um, because I've developed my body in such a way that it stands out a little bit more. It's interesting you mentioned bodybuilding and, and powerlifting and, and strongman competitions because uh, Bill Kazmaier, who yep. a guy who I absolutely love not only to watch him do what he does in his sport, which is something that less than 1% of people can do. Uh, and that may even be high, uh, maybe a half of a half of a percent, but just the knowledge that goes into that in all of the preparation that goes into powerlifting and how to do this and that and the Atlas stone and all that kind of stuff with the strong man. Uh, but he also did uh, WCW as well. He, he actually, he did that as well, and I thought that was super, super awesome. And, and was. if anybody has ever heard him speak, he is probably one of the most genuine, sweet, kind-hearted men, um, great public speaker. But it's just when you talk about that, it, it did make me recollect people who've also gone that road as well and uh, who have succeeded and done very well. So uh, definitely you're in, a, you're in the pantheon of some, some very elite people when it comes to uh, the sports world. Oh, thank you. I, I I try. I put my effort in. And I just I, I do my best, and I just hope the best results from the effort I put in. What were some people, or who were some people, I should say, who might have given you some advice along the way uh, when it came to wrestling? You, you first get into it, obviously. You're doing the bodybuilding thing. You're chiseled out of granite. Uh, you're doing the shows. Years later, obviously, powerlifting and whatnot. You, you have the physique. You have the mental toughness. And then you decide to go into pro wrestling. Was there anybody at any point, maybe earlier in your career, uh, when you were training, maybe later uh, in your career, that said, hey, I want to tell you something, or you got a second, I want to share something with you. Anybody who ever had one of those one-off moments with you, uh, either backstage or at a training session that gave you some things to think about? You know, I, I fear answering that question, not because I failed to come up with an answer, but because I have so many that I fear leaving someone out. Um. 
there there's so been so many along the way. It's been it'll be sixteen years next month that I've been in the business. And I mean to start off, I my original trainer at Atlas, you know, sort of at the monster he was running the Monster Factory at the time under the um supervision sort of of Larry Sharp. So he was the primary trainer there, along with Jim Molino from ECW. Mm-hmm. Um the majority of my fundamentals you know, obviously came from Ed Atlas. Ed Atlas could be crazy, um, but he had a lot of knowledge to give. And Jim Molyneux was, you could just sit and listen, listen to him speak wisdom for hours on end. You just listen and absorb. And I, Jim Molyneux, I don't think knows how integral he's been to some of my philosophies on the business and my approach to the business and just my, some of the things I know just from listening to him speak, even though Ed Atlas was the dominating, it was funny, he was the dominating dad voice at the Monster Factory, and Jim was sort of mom. He was in a most quiet and more reserved, but there's so much knowledge that he shared along the way. And I just, I don't want to name drop. I mean, there's just there's so many names that have helped me along the way. I remember uh, early on, Axel Rotten, I'd pull up a chair besides him in the locker room, he'd help me out, um, just listening to people like Tom Brandy, uh, um, Danny Cage, who runs the Monster Factory now, always has bits of wisdom. He's like my Monster Factory brother, I feel. Um, so I've, I've gained so much from him and just listening to people like, uh, like um, Les Thatcher would come along. Two of my big influences, and I can't thank them enough. Um, Bob Evans, brutal Bob Evans. Um, I've done so much. I hosted seminars alongside of him because he trusted me enough to help with the students. And um, also Kevin Kelly, who would also do seminars with Bob. I just learned such a fountain of knowledge um, just t- to listen to these men. You know, I, I think I mentioned Tom Tom Brandy, who you mm-hmm. know, I would sit beside him, uh, listen to Tito Santano a little bit, who he would just kind of just talk, and I would I would listen. Uh, Coco Beware was another one. Uh, I'm just there, there was so many. I just I'd feel that if I keep naming, I'm just going to um, I'm just going to forget. To name people, and that's that's my biggest fear. Um, one more esoteric one people might not know as much uh, that I really want to give a little uh, knowledge to here. Hangman Harley Watkins. Now, if you're familiar with him, he would he had done some jobs back in WCW back in the 90s, and he would pull a chair next to me because he knew I wanted to learn. He knew I wanted to listen. And this was a little earlier in my career, and he would just look me in the eyes and tell me everything I did wrong, everything I need to know everything that was bad about myself in the most caring way possible because he wanted me to get better and I would just listen to any knowledge he had to give. Um, then there were times where I would, um, we would all go out to eat after different um, events and I just remember sitting next to, you know, on the table next to Jack Molson, um, who's another one who I don't, why he wasn't never ever signed with him and his brother, I, I it's beyond me. Uh, they were massive individuals. Molson at one point was, I think he's six five and weighed five hundred pounds, and both of them, him and his brother, were impressive and could work. And his his brother was about six three, three hundred forty pounds or three hundred fifty pounds. He might have been up to four hundred at one point. He was enormous, and he was also a powerlifter who had set records. So I, why they were never signed, I just I can't even wrap my head around it. But I remember just again sitting there and absorbing, you know, as we were out to dinner, and we'd go out to dinner, you know, a couple times a month together because we were working the same circuits, and I would just sit and listen to Molson talk, and you know pick his brain and just learn whatever I could. He was training people at one time at the Wild Samoans Academy. So he really had a lot of knowledge and I gained a lot from him. And just other, just so many, so many people. Another one, um, Delirious from Ring of Honor. He was always mm-hmm. so good. And if anyone has the opportunity to train on him, he's one of the most phenomenal minds I think I've met in the business. Um, you know, for years I was convinced Star Wars was fiction. 
until I met Delirious, and I said, this man, this man is a real-life Jedi. There's no question about it, this man's a real-life Jedi. He's, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, just the amount of knowledge he's had and the willingness to share it, and the things he can do is are remarkable. Um, so he's another one. And I, I, I could go on and on um, naming different people, but again, I fear leaving people out, because those are some of the main influences I've had. Um, they've really taken the time to get my um jay briscoe was another one i want to give a small nod to also jay briscoe for helping me out in a certain way when i was first um approaching ring of honor so thank you also to jay briscoe um but so many so many people cheeseburger for showing me moves outside of um my repertoire because he knows i think every move known to man and he's a technical genius if no i don't think he gets enough credit for being as good as he is um perhaps he doesn't flaunt it enough technically but he's an absolute master Every time I'm around him, I learn about five moves I've never heard before and can't pronounce the names because they're in different languages. <laughs> so not also to him as well. We have, uh, you know, I say this phrase a lot on the show, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And yes. uh, it, the funny thing is you mentioned Les Thatcher and, and people on the show know I've, I've mentioned this. I first got involved with wrestling when I was in high school. Um, so we're talking in the <coughs> mid to late 90s. And uh, I went ahead and I went down to HWA, uh, which was known at the time as Heartland Wrestling Association. Sure. And I got to know less. And Phenomenal human being. I could not even begin to tell you how he welcomed me into his office. And I was just a high school kid. And I said, what can I do to help? And I think those are the words that people look for, yes, you know, I'm instead of, you know, can I get autographs or who can you introduce me to? I said, how can I help? And yep. we co-promoted an event together. I helped find a, a venue Fantastic. and I was so thrilled for that. And um, so many different guys who came through HWA and that was such a successful promotion and Les gave his heart and soul. And I'm so glad to see he's doing so well these days and he deserves yep. all the accolades because he's one of those people who, will literally sit down with you and give you a heart to heart and you will be 10 times the person you were before you walked into the room after you leave talking with less. Absolutely. Um, and, and he gives up himself selflessly. I I'm asking nothing in return. And, and the, you see in him, um, a genuine love for the business, a genuine passion for the business. And, and I feel like, especially people who have been around it quite a while, they, they get jaded and it's nice, especially to see somebody who's up there. I remember, um, Jimmy Snooker is another one that I just remember. Every time I saw him, he was so full of life. This was, and Roddy Piper, even when I met Roddy Piper, I only had the uh, privilege of meeting him once, but I remember him just being so full of life and so vibrant, just happy to still be around the business. And I feel like there's so many that just uh, do it as a job or want to collect the payday or have other motives and, and to see the genuine desire to be around the business and the happiness that it brings and the joy that it creates. It's just a wonderful thing. And I feel like it... Uh, you draw off of that and you, you really, you see him become excited. I remember one time having a professor when I was studying art, who, um, he would educate you using slides and you'd do slideshows and he didn't care if anyone was listening. He loved his artwork so much and he loved what he did so much that he would just talk and talk for hours and just, you'd see him smile about little things and it was, um, it's a really fantastic thing to uh, to behold, and you really became passionate about something you might not even cared about just because you heard him talking so much about how much he cared about it and how much joy it brought him that it 
subsequently um, brought you joy vicariously, even if you couldn't understand it or you didn't particularly relate to it yourself. So I, I feel like there's a lot of that less that he just brings that much joy to the wrestling business. I like the way that you use the word vicariously because I think that is, in some ways, the beauty of what pro wrestling is. It's it's the sure. fact that we, uh, the people on the other side of the rail, get the ability to live vicariously through these larger-than-life uh, individuals, um, these mystical creatures and things that we get a chance to believe in. And when you believe in something, it becomes a part of you. And you get to see yourself in them and it just takes you on a journey and it not only takes you through man i love to see you know my favorite person win but it also it it teaches you a lesson as well throughout the whole process i remember hulk hulk hogan made a statement he said tara balea was a three on a scale one to ten as a human being he said but hulk hogan made me a 10 out of 10 and it changes you so i guess I think it's awesome for fans to get to live vicariously, but maybe a, a part two to that question is how has being in wrestling changed you as a person? That's a, that's a deep, deep um, question. I don't know that I've ever thought about that. Um, to comment on your first um, sort of point, I speak a lot to my fans and I try to interact. I try to be available to them as much as I can, because at the end of the day, they're also people. And I feel like, too many wrestlers take with too many entertainers. I don't want to narrow it down and make it exclusive to wrestlers. So many entertainers um, have a disconnect and forget that there's a person behind everybody liking their status or, or you know, buying their T-shirt or purchasing a ticket that there's a person behind that. So I try to get to know the people behind the uh, avatars, as it would be. Um, as much as I can, and I see, you know, a lot of them talk about, you know, comic books, and I, I don't understand comic books. It's not uh, something that enthralls me, I can't really connect to it, but see the other ways in which people I know connect to, you know, comic book characters or, or character in a movie. How many times do you see somebody with, like, a Batman tattoo you know, on uh, on them, or, you know, the, the Hulk or the Superman's another logo you're you know, encrusted on somebody's shoulder or bicep or, or what have you, but in some way, there's a reflection of themselves in that character. There's something about that character that they see that they can connect to. That makes them say, I could vicariously be that character. That character is a part of me. That person is a part of me. And I think it even extends to musicians as well. How many times do you see people with banner tattoos? You know, the Kiss tattoo is, you know, on all, you know, I think on all the Metallica M's, you know, the, the Star M's. I've seen that quite a few times. There's something about it that relates to you, feel relatable. And I definitely feel that with some of my fans. I feel like sometimes that's a connection that we have that they might not be the entire entity that I am, but they connect to it in some way. And that's what I try to relate to them as well, that you have the power within yourself to be anything that you want to be, to be that entirety of yourself. You know, they said wrestlers are themselves cranked up to 10, you know, take yourself, whatever you do and crank it up to 11. There's no reason you can't. And I feel a lot of people don't believe in themselves enough to do it. But if you look to classicism, if you look to any of the um, sort of, gods of the past, um, you know, Ares or, or, or Isis or Cyrus or Zeus, Heracles, you know, any of these gods sort of embodied something. They were the embodied, you know, Ares, the god of war, you know, Poseidon, the god of this, everything about them was that entirety. And I feel like we become an emblem like that. But I'd like to let people know that 
they themselves can become that emblem, can become a character caricature of something larger than themselves. But maybe that is what they see, is they see part of us within themselves and they extend that out. Um, so, um, I'm sorry, I got... I, digressed um what was the the second part of the question i sort of no 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 you're fine uh it was just kind of you know how has wrestling changed changed you well for the most fundamental obvious conspicuous part of it sometimes i walk with a bit of a limp sometimes i'm holding my back uh from a physical perspective it's changed me quite a bit sometimes it hurts to get out of bed sometimes i can't get out of bed um I think we all grow as individuals along the way from everything we experience. And wrestling has shown me a lot of, a lot, a lot of bad. And from all the bad I've seen, I try my best every day not to do that. Because um, I've seen people hurt people deliberately, in different, not just in the ring, but in different ways. And, and I, I, you know, fan, wrestlers turn away from fans and not want anything to do with that and just things that I don't want to mention. So I don't, I look to that and I say, hmm, I don't want to be that. So I try to enhance myself in such a way that I'm not. And also, I see so much good. And we talk like people, about people like Les Thatcher. We talk about Bob Evans. And there are people that I see that are remarkable, both in a physical way, in an athletic way. And I say, how can I ascend as a human being to that? So I feel like everything we experience has influence upon us, um, whether directly or indirectly, consciously, subconsciously. And I feel everything we do, we have a decision within that context. Like, I want to do this. And I feel it's made me involved into such a person, finding the person I don't want to be and trying not to be that, and finding everything through others that I do want to be and trying to trot down that path. I, and I can't say because I don't know how to have been in a different business where I'd be what my philosophies on things might be or how they might have changed things. Um, but it's been an experience I wouldn't trade for the world. And one I would gladly repeat if given another opportunity. So, I mean, we're, we're coming on 16 years in the industry, which is an eternity. I mean, just from everything that you've put your, your body through. Um, and you say you, you do it all over again. And I believe that with every fiber in my being. So let me ask you, What's the next chapter going to look like? What is the next page that's going to be written look like? Is it something that you have an idea already, or is it something much like your matches? What makes a great match makes a great next chapter in my life. It's just going to have to happen organically. I like that you use that analogy, and I'm no, I'm no prognosticator, nor am I a soothsayer or an oracle, so I can't tell for certain, though I have an idea. I try to build things in my mind, almost structuring them as you would write a book. And because I use the book analogy all the time, and I said, you're the author of your own destiny. You can always can't rewrite the past, but you can always rewrite the ending. And I'd like to say that I will be signed to a major TV company. That's the that's the goal. I, I like to set goals. I don't like to fancy wishes, because um, I feel like when you wish for something, you're rolling a dice and taking a gamble on chance that all the stars might align and things go your way. However, when you set goals, even small ones, you have a determined path. And I tell people that when it comes to goal setting, have your macro goal, the, the, the big one, the, you know, the one you ultimately like to achieve, and have it big. Because it's not big, you'll settle for less, and you don't want to settle for less. But also, along the way, have small goals and celebrate those goals. 
Because if you think about a bowl of rice, a bowl of rice is a bowl of rice. A grain in a bowl of rice is nothing. But if one day you have a grain, and the second day you had a grain, maybe the next day you had two grains, or the next day maybe one the next, in any sequence, by the end of the time, you look back and you have a bowl of rice. Mm -hmm. Because everything, every goal matters, and everything accumulates one atop the other. So when they do, you've reached that macro goal by achieving the micro goals. So I always say, have the macro goal in mind. Keep plugging away daily, even if it's a small improvement. And that's what I encourage people to do. And I really feel if there's any takeaway from anyone watching, um, the takeaway this, that every day improve something. Every day do something small. Every day learn a new word. You know, go the extra 20 feet for your, for your morning walk. Uh, add another minute to your yoga. Whatever it is, you know, cut, cut the soda out for the day. You know, drink more water, drink another glass of water. Whatever the small goal is, make it consistent. First, set that goal, accomplish that goal, and reward yourself. Don't be afraid to reward yourself for goals because that triggers a mechanism within your mind that accomplishing a goal equates to a reward. But set those goals. Every day, try to do something small. It's just something, even if you have trouble getting out of bed and you get out of bed that one minute earlier, the next day it's two minutes earlier. And compound those goals on top of each other because every goal is a victory and every victory is a win. And those wins are all something you tally up in the long run. And you'll see that once you have that many wins, it really accumulates into something much bigger. You know, some people say, oh, well, uh, I want to lose 50 pounds. And, you know, they eat clean for two days. And, oh, I haven't lost 50 pounds. I quit. No, that's not how this works at all. Absolutely not. No, set a macro goal of 50 pounds. And then say, by the end of this month, I want to have lost 50. Maybe by the end of the next one, you also well, by the, Before you know it, you'll get more disciplined because you'll celebrate the small goals and take those small goals because those victories, the smaller victories are bigger than the big victory because they mean more. But every day do it, and that's how you construct the discipline to do these things. And before you know it, you've accomplished something you would marvel at that you didn't think you would be able to accomplish before. So that's sort of my takeaway from, from, that, whole, uh, from that whole ramble. I mean, I, I think I'm in a similar boat with you. It's It's... If I were to surmise what we've been talking about, it's about the journey, not necessarily focusing on the destination because the destination will happen, but it won't happen unless you put forth the steps in your journey to get to where you need to be. And from what I've also learned from you, wrestling to you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more of the essence of someone's being. It's something that is communally shared. It's yep. something that you can't really put trunks on or you can't uh, put a foam finger on. It's something that just, it, it you feel it. It's, it's really hard to explain, but it's something that is, it's that electric, it's that energy, and it's that moment that you share with another person or 20,000 people. It's that combined unity that everybody gets a win-win out of it, and we all feel better about ourselves from the experience. Yes, absolutely. And that's I, I recently did a, a character development workshop. I'd done several seminars before. This one really was a workshop focusing specifically on developing character and how to exude more character and incorporate character into small things that you do. Um, and one of the first things I did during my introduction was I asked, what are we selling? You know, what are they buying? What is the and then you know I get the typical answers which I which I'd expect and it's a little enigmatic what I'm searching for so I didn't expect to get it and I, oh the story oh, of course we're telling a story and that's the most primary importance is, is telling a story correct 
oh, the move. No, we're not selling the move. The move isn't what we're selling. The move happened to be a sentence in the paragraph in the page on the book that we're, we're selling. And then, then I say, I tell them, what you're selling as any great artist in any medium, you know, sells in a movie, you know, you connect with them. And, and if you look at a beautiful painting or hear a beautiful piece of music, you're connecting to what we're selling is connection of human emotion. And that's what we're selling. We're selling an emotional experience. Now, if you ask me what's maybe my favorite moment in professional wrestling, it had nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with the character. It had the characters were important in the in the story. Um, nothing to do with the match. It had to do with it was the Ultimate Warrior against Macho Man Randy Savage. It had nothing to do with the match. If you recall, after that match, what happened? Mean, at WrestleMania, we're talking when the one in Los Angeles, Stars and Stripes. It was the one where Shaddy turns on. Oh, absolutely. It's when Liz actually comes out of the crowd and you see how he truly loved her the whole time and and how he finally tr truly showed his expressions and he wasn't this overbearing, you know, overconfident man who was truly hiding behind something, but it was somebody who actually showed raw emotion and people cried in the audience and uh it was it was magic it was a movie and at the end of the day no one cared about the match exactly and that's probably my most favorite thing that i want because what we're selling we're selling emotion and we connect in such a way with that story and that passion that the match almost became the moves in the match became irrelevant but the moves in the match are all usually irrelevant i mean if you ask somebody if you watch a match and then ask them the week later oh well, what was the move that they did at this point? They, they didn't know. It's not about the moves, but they say, you know, oh, well, it was a half-ass hair match, and the man lost his hair at the end of the match. And they, they remember that with this thing's passion. You know, that they remember the story behind the match and the emotion that they felt when that story was happening. And that's really what I feel like any artist, you know, wrestling included. And that's what, that's what it is, is the emotion. You see a good play, you experience the same gamut of emotions that you are when you're watching a very well-told wrestling called a wrestling story. And I think that's what's important is we're connecting emotionally. And that emotion is an extension of ourselves. And that, that, like you were talking about the cyclical energy that people absorb that and they feel that. And that's really what we're connected to is the emotion behind what we do, not necessarily the medium through which we express it, even though people have to be drawn to different media according to their preference. I love the, the example you used. Um, I'm being, I'm a science guy myself. So Energy is never created nor destroyed. It just simply changes form. And uh, that is so indicative of what life truly is. Nothing ends. Nothing begins. It's just a new beginning in another way. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I have thoroughly enjoyed this very, very much. Um, is, is there any chance we could twist your arm to... Well, I wouldn't try to twist your arm because I... I'd probably be picking myself off the ground, but uh, metaphorically speaking, uh, is there any chance we could ask you to come back again and share more uh, enlighteningness uh, when it comes to wrestling in life? Because I think our audience would love part two. Certainly. If they can bear me uh, rambling on about certain things and sort of my prattle that comes out, out of this brain of mine. Sure. I'd, I'd most happily be. Well, I have definitely enjoyed it and you have given me things to think about that, it's interesting until you truly connect with somebody in a conversation like this, you wonder if those things rattling around in your brain is just you. But then when you hear them eloquently spoken by somebody else, it validates how you feel about something Absolutely. and it makes you realize, Oh yeah, you know what? Someone else thinks that same way that I do. And uh, that's a pretty damn good feeling. 
I would agree. Well, uh, where can people follow you? Let's go ahead and let's let's get the where people can follow you. Where can people get your merchandise? Where you are going to be appearing next? What is all the sure. details? Right now, the best way to get a hold of me is through my Twitter account, TLW underscore Grey Wolf. Again, TLW underscore Grey Wolf. That's the last warrior underscore Grey Wolf, TLW underscore Grey Wolf. Um, it's the only social media I'm really using right now. It seems to be the one that I'm most comfortable with, and uh, so I sort of stick to that one for diversity. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, which I've just been really sort of um, getting along. I'm finding my way through the jungle that is YouTube and its, and its content uh, creation. Um, just type in Grey Wolf Raventhorn. Uh, that's Raventhorn with an E at the end of Thorn, and you'll likely find me spouting off about something ridiculous. Um, so you could follow me on there. I'd be much appreciated. I try to respond to anybody. You know, I try to respond to every comment, every message. Um, as I said before, I try to make myself readily available to anybody as within reason. Don't write me two paragraph essays or three paragraph essays when you're in my inbox. I, I don't have the energy to entertain it as much as I would like to. I was before, and it just it, there are people that would send me you know, paragraphs long messages, and I just I I don't have time or energy to entertain that. But I will in any way help anybody I can in any you know any way I, I possibly can, and I try to make myself readily available. Also, we'll be, um, right now, I'm really focusing on tag team wrestling with my partner. I'd like to shout out uh, Warwolf Creed. Also, give him a follow at True Warwolf um, on Twitter. That's uh, at T-R-U-W-A-R-W-U-L-F on Twitter. That's my tag team partner. Our tag team name of Tyrants. Beware. We're conquering the world. That's awesome. Um, but I, merchandise is available through me. I, I every so often I'll post some of it. And we have T-shirts available, stickers available, eight by tens available. Um, and we'll be appearing next, I believe, November twelfth at LTW in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey, for the tag team titles. Ooh! So stay tuned for that. You know, Money Fight Inc. is the people we're facing, and we had this annoying pest in Thorn on our side in the entity that is boy band who seem to everywhere we go interfere in our matches by dancing they can't seem to stop dancing i just hope they don't try to interfere on in our match this time by dancing and distracting us yet again so be there for that you're not going to want to miss it and we also have engagements with uh first day championship wrestling we you know uh, outbreak championship uh, outbreak wrestling i believe we're going to be returning there um and of course, for anybody who's been following for any duration at all knows that we've been frequenting Camp Leapfrog. Yes, we are so, big fans of Camp Leapfrog. Anyone who is familiar with, you know, the now defunct Shikara would yep. probably love Camp Leapfrog. It's probably the most fun wrestling organization I've ever worked for. Um, there's just so much going on. It's just constantly stories this direction and that direction. You don't know what, what's going to happen next with whom and how ridiculous and absurd it might get. And you'll if you love that style, you'll love every bit of it, as, I, as am I. It's just been the most fun I think I've had in the business in a breathe and relax sort of way, even though we still take our matches very serious. Well, so that's, we, that's sort of where you can find me right now. We will definitely make sure we plug those and we direct people to Camp Leapfrog to your uh, social media page as well and definitely tell people you want to get merchandise, 8x10s, go ahead, sit in a DM, but please keep it brief and... Uh, Show your love by coming out and supporting you at the shows as well, because I know the fans would be extremely excited to get a chance to see you. Yes, and I'd love to take it. If you'll see me at a wrestling event, you know, just come up and say hello. 
as a menacing as I may seem, I always try to make time for him. I'll sign every autograph I can, um, and I'll take every photo that anyone asks for. Um, I really try to make myself as readily available as I, I, I can, because I like that return to me. If, if I was in that position, I, I feel, you know, if I want to see somebody, I, I'd want that return to me as well. You know, so I try to make room for and time for every person that I can. You're a great wrestler, but you're even a better man. I thank you for your time, and we'll definitely be in touch. Okay. We'll definitely step by and do a part two. Absolutely. All very right. Thank you very much for having me this evening. Thanks again. Thanks. Good wow. That was pretty cool. That was it was it was very much different than a, a traditional interview. Um he's very passionate about what he does and he is very um he's a deep thinker when it comes to the psychology of wrestling and that's a big thing that I I wanted the audience to understand that he, you know, when we often talk about how wrestlers paint their, their masterpieces, like literally this is what he does. He is a Michelangelo. He is a Picasso. He likes to make sure that he takes people on an emotional journey that every single match, um, maybe not necessarily has to be technically sound, but it's one of those things that he wants you to come away with having an experience and, we can't thank him for his time, and I definitely want to bring him back again. And hopefully people uh, in the chat and the people who are listening had an opportunity to enjoy some of that. Yeah, he definitely looks at things differently. Like, he's more the, – the match is okay, but the emotion and the reaction from the crowd is what he wants. And, you know, he brought up the great point of Hogan and Andre – I'm I'm sure uh, Johnny, who we had on earlier, him and his brother probably had better matches in the basement. True. But that reaction from the crowd is what the money shot was. Yeah, absolutely. You know, ECW fan, you know, said this is one of the deepest interviews we've, we've had, and it's true. Like, in no way was I going to sit there and – try to you know get into the flow that you two were having because I was just sitting back listening you know thinking about what he was saying because I'm like wait okay he's saying it you know this way the the feel the crowd reaction I'm like that's that's, that's a different way to think about it but it's true it you is know? Every everybody is out there planning all these spot fest. Yep, 10, 10 minutes, twelve minutes. But then you get the you go out there, and else all of a sudden you ten minute match. You're planning it, you know, verbatim, and you get nothing. Then all of a sudden, here you go, Mister Charisma has a little five six minute match, and that crowd is electric. Wait a minute! What did we do wrong? Hey, you, you got you gotta you gotta feel the crowd. You gotta feed off that energy. And guess what? Just like you guys were saying, it doesn't. Uh, was it dissipate? Yeah, it never really goes away. It just you know it goes from you to them and them back to you. It's uh, it's really cool. It is is a really cool uh, analogies that he gave. And like I said before, I like. 
the way he explained things because as you alliterated, he explains things a lot differently than other people do. And I think that's what makes him unique and going on 16 years in the business. He's done seminars, all these things. He's a big fan of camp leapfrog. So are we big supporters of camp leapfrog. I know you're a huge supporter of camp leapfrog as well. And, and cheeseburger, he, he went ahead and he threw some shout outs to him as well. And so many different people, that he has grown from their association. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, uh, man, Camp Leapfrog is, is a there's a lot going on. You know what I mean? We had Grey Wolf there a couple weeks ago. We had we had our man uh, Killian. Yep. And then there's the weekly shout out, Miss PP Poo Poo. There it is. You know, PP Poo Poo. Honk, honk. Darius Carter, you know, is there. Uh, very good professional wrestler. It's like, you know, full circle. It is. Everybody is connected. So, indeed. Indeed. Hour two is down. Hour two is done. But you know what? We told you this week was going to be a big show. And it's going to be a big show. Because are we done? Not no. yet. No, no, There's no. going to be more. And, uh, well, this guess is, this guy guess is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And it, it was, it's exciting to interact with him, talk to him, chat him up. And, oh, my good Lord, about freaking time. Okay, okay, Freeland. Yeah. Can we get it open? The Liam is now here, so... so Oh, so he's here. Now we can start. Okay, yeah, yeah. he must have been busy folding boxes. I understand. So, Ready? Welcome to another episode of Future Stars Now and Front Row Material. I am Mike Friel, and I'm joined, as always, by my broadcast colleague, The Rit. Man, we got a great show for you tonight. This is going to be more fun than you've ever had with pants off. We got great guests coming up, and if you haven't caught all of the stuff we've done so far, you can definitely go ahead and go over to a YouTube channel and you can catch all of our episodes, all of our video episodes that Mr. Liam uh, Savage has put together for us. It is youtube.com. I believe it's forward slash FRM. I believe that's not a good open. Shut your mouth. It's a great open. Uh, go ahead and support us on our YouTube channel. We have all of our videos. If you haven't got a chance to see them, you can also go ahead and follow and subscribe to our Twitch channel as well. Um, all the programs are going to be on there. In fact, this one will be on there. <laughs> I keep looking over at the chat, you bastard. Uh, you can go ahead and catch all of these on demand as well. As soon as we go off the air tonight, you'll be able to watch this all over again. Who joined us in hour number one? Our good friend, Johnny Moran. Or Moran. You in the fanciness. Look at you in the fancy of the schmancy. My goodness. Um... Johnny had a lot to say. I loved the interview with Johnny. Johnny is somebody that I really feel pretty confident he'll come back again. What will you say? Uh, we were just chatting a little bit. Uh, he loved it. He's going to sit there and uh, hook me up with, with a little something-something for next week's three-year anniversary. Wow, that's going to be a big deal. Three-year anniversary, guys. We are celebrating three years of being on the air, the Front Row Material brand. Um, we're really going to try to do this up and, and give back to everybody who's given us so much love over the years. 
Um, and then obviously in hour number two, we had Gray Wolf Raventhorn. Um, if you get a chance, please go ahead and follow him on social media as well. You can DM him, get eight by tens t-shirts. He has merchandise as well. Please, by all means, support him as well. Are, are we gonna are we gonna say now what's gonna happen in hour number three? Hey, hey, are you ready to go to church? Oh, I'm ready. Are you ready to go to church, Freeland? I'm hitting my knees. Can we get an amen? Amen. Not yet. We can take a commercial. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back... <laughs> not going to say anything. <laughs> not going to say anything. You're no. I, it's not going to be, it's not going to be uh, Reverend Devon. Okay? So, for everybody who's watching right now who thinks in hour number three, we're going to be have um, Reverend Devon. Uh, it is not going to be Reverend Devon. And it's not going to be John Paul II either. Um, and who's the current uh, guy in, in charge of the, the Catholic Church? What's his name? Mike Freeland? No. No, what is his name? Freeland, you should know this. Wh- wow, I should know this? Yes, you don't you? Jimmy Swagger? <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's Liam. Jimmy Swagger. Oh, I know, I know. Francis, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh man. What did he say, Peter? Pop off you're wow. That's it. You're donezos. Do- oh, throw man. it to commercial. We're not do- Joel Olstein. Get out of here. Hey. It's terrible. We'll be back right after this commercial break. At least one of us will be. Where am I going? You- Live Charity is a nonprofit organization founded by professional wrestler the Pope Elijah Burke. A college graduate and former Jacksonville Sheriff Officer who is a native to Jacksonville, Florida. The mission of the Love Alive charity is to give back to the community while aiming to improve the quality of life in Greater Jacksonville. Since 2012, the Love Alive charity has positively influenced many people by feeding the homeless, helping displaced families, and restoring faith in disadvantaged communities through humanitarian efforts. Hello, I'm Elijah Burke. With as little of a donation of $1 or more, you can help make a difference in the lives of others. To donate and to learn more about the Love Alive charity, please visit theelijahexpress.com. And we're back. And... Now as for the uh, the main event here, we have a former WWE, TNA, OBW, NWA uh, superstar here. He is by far one of the most charismatic men in the industry, but also over this past week, reading up on him, he is also one of the most caring and humble men that you will find. He is the Pope. What to do, man? What to do, Rit? All right. How are you doing, Pope? Wonderful. Wonderful. Just came off of a uh, loop here, if you will, with NWA Power. Uh, just finished doing By Any Means Necessary in Oak Grove, Kentucky. So uh, everything's on the up and up, man. Healthy, you know, here, live, if you will, on the front row. Yeah, 
Man, I, I sit there and uh, I was watching the NWA Power before, uh, you know, COVID and everything. And man, it seemed like it was picking up. It had it had the momentum, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything shut down. Yeah. So 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 how was it uh, when you were there with no crowds and everything? Like like how different is that going forward when you're used to having that crowd reaction? I think it was. I, I I think it was obviously a very interesting time for all of us in the world of professional wrestling. I also believe that uh, professionals are indeed accustomed to empty arena matches because that's how we train. Uh, <laughs> we train in empty arenas, and we've oftentimes been taught, certainly myself, I should say, uh, that you got to have that crowd mindset. If you will, you got to have that in your mind. You got to have the crowd noise. You got to react in the empty building as if the crowd is there. Uh, you got to act as if the announcers are talking. You got to be, uh, you got to cover all of those grounds with or without a crowd. But certainly it's definitely different uh, when you're used to it and you're accustomed to it. It's, it's somewhat of a challenge. Yeah. Uh, going back, you know, what got you into professional wrestling? You know, a lot of people we talk to, it's like, ah, my friend was into it. You know, my mom and dad were in it, my gram, you know. So, so what got you, what caught your eye with professional wrestling? Uh, well, well, probably half of what's catching everybody else's eye when they look behind you. But no, <laughs> uh, certainly um, it was real simple, man. Uh, Saturday mornings, sitting next to my dad who was in this big chair. Or recline or whatever you call it and watching WTBS. And uh we watched we watched so much wrestling every I mean every Saturday morning you had uh uh NWA power. Ain't that something NWA power and here I am. That's crazy. Power hour, uh, I should say. Yeah, yeah. NWA full, power hour. Full circle. Full circle. So you know uh, that moment when the American Dream Dusty Rose reached out and said, Your hand touching my hand. Touch the, touch the TV screen right now. Man, I was reaching. I was reaching. So um, all of that, man, uh, uh, parlayed in, in, into what we have now when it comes to uh, the Pope. You know, every Sunday, I'm, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. Obviously, everybody knows that. And, you know, we getting out of church, you know, uh, you know, get out of church around about 2 o'clock. Three o'clock, we go to grandmama house. We're going to eat some good old soul food. And then we're waiting for 605, 605. 605. We're waiting, man. We're waiting. So uh, all of that. And, and on 605, for those of you who didn't know, that wasn't just on a Saturday. That was on Sundays as well for the main event. So that's kind of that's kind of what got me here. Man, I kind of miss those days of you know, not everything's 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock. No, it was 6.05. 6.05. That was the real lead-in to, to what was coming on next. Uh, I spoke with somebody uh, when I was at the uh, Oak Grove event uh, for By Enemies Necessary. I spoke with someone, and they asked me about baseball, you know, because you got the, the, the World Series going on right now, about to take place. And, um, you know, who's my favorite team? Well, I'm not really a baseball guy, but – who I support, the Atlanta Braves. Why did I support the Atlanta Braves during my upbringing? 
WTBS. It, after wrestling went off, you went straight into baseball. Straight into baseball. And, and, that, and was the, that was the only baseball team I was familiar with. So when it was time to play video games, I chose the Atlanta Braves. Hey, and that was back when you had, what, Glavin, Smoltz, you know, Maddox. Ma Maddox, and there's one, Chipper. Chipper, Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones. Yes, sir. Man, that that was a that was a nice little little time for the Braves. Yeah. Sit there. So, uh, getting into wrestling. So, what was going through your mind of you know? Did you think you could do it? You know, how do I transfer into you know doing professional wrestling? Well, I mean, it, you you go back. Um, I I think anybody that's a wrestling. Uh, a wrestler today was a wrestling fan, and being a wrestling fan, you oftentimes imitated what you saw, that which you're a fan of. I don't care if it's basketball, football, whatever it is that you grow up watching, you try to emulate it. If you were a fan of Michael or Magic, then when you were on the court, you were trying to shoot like Michael and pass like Magic. So certainly um, that was something that was a Often, uh, uh, I can't say backyard because the backyard wrestling wasn't really a thing, uh, I should say. But we did wrestle, whether it was in the pool, whether it was you know on the couch, in the bed. Um, so being athletic, of course, I knew it was something I could do. The question, uh, after going through law enforcement and, and after going through amateur boxing, you know, uh, the question now is, can I do it in such a worked way, a, such a worked manner? I wasn't worried about getting over. I wasn't worried about uh, connecting with the crowd. It's something I've always uh, been able to do, you know? So I wasn't worried about that, uh, but I was worried about whether or not I can keep these hands, you know, from going full force and whatnot. Yeah, especially uh, uh, your amateur boxing background, you know, Amateur record over a three-year time, 98 and one. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, you know, now I sound like Hogan, sometimes twice in one night, brother. So, uh, yeah, um, it, it speaks for itself, you know, and I, you're talking about from amateur boxing all the way into the world of tough man boxing as well. I did it all, everything except bare knuckle. Uh, and, and could you explain to the audience what the difference between amateur and tough man boxing is? Yeah, the difference between amateur and tough man is amateur is regulated and tough man pretty much isn't. <laughs> that's that's for for you know put it in a nutshell. So I don't go on a tangent here of trying to explain everything. Amateur is regulated. You got all, of course tough man had certain regulations, but uh, being you know Pope's a easy are soaking wet, I should say 180 pounds, but I was still the big guy on campus. So uh, the big guy has to fight the big guy. And you know, the big guy could be 230 pounds, but they match you up as, hey, you wanna fight? This what, well, we gotta fight, yeah, let's fight. I'll take them on. So I always had to fight the guys that were the biggest guys on campus. So that's the difference between a tough man and, and and amateur boxing because again, in tough man boxing, and I still went on a little side path there, but tough man boxing, uh, uh, if you want to fight, you you can fight. If you want to back out, you back out. But if I want to 
fight somebody, somebody smaller than me want to fight me, and it's agreed upon, then then you go ahead and, and, and you fight. Now, registered hands, we're going to sit there and call them as, as they are, registered hands. Going into the professional wrestling, those are... How do you sit there and go to pull, you know, pull a punch, you know, when, when your mindset and your, you know, body's telling you, this is what I've done for this long. Now it's like, nope, we can't be doing that. Right. It was a, it was really a tough transition. Um, it was tough. Uh, much like I said before, getting over that hump, how do you, how do you pull them? How do you, uh, get past the, the 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 real force of what you deliver you don't throw them so um much like guys today who can't throw a punch they don't throw them um because they don't know how to throw them for one and they can't throw them and make them look good for two uh so they just stick with throwing forearms and half of those don't look believable sorry you know pope's a teacher at heart still so I, i'm gonna go but nonetheless um yeah I was throwing forearms, but I was practicing my punches until I could throw them in a way that were still convincing and look good and did not uh, uh, negatively affect where I've come from as far as people views. If I'm a boxer and that record everybody knows, then certainly when I throw a punch, it needs to look that darn good. Kurt Angle. Olympic gold medalist. So when he goes to the mat wrestling and Greco-Roman style, his has to look better than anybody else's. And so I take much pride. So when Pope throws a punch, when Pope throws his his, his combos, or when Pope throws the the uh, four up uppercut, then you better believe it's gonna it's gonna be on point. Hey, okay, I was gonna bring that up a little bit later, but four up. You sit there and you you wrote that on your on your wrist tape. What, what was that all about? Undertaker. Uh, I, I was going out there just with the right hand taped up. Obviously, I'm a right-hander. Obviously, I won uh, most of my fights by knockout, and it was by the right hand. So um, I would tape it up. And so initially, I was just going out to the ring with the tape on. And one day, uh, Taker pulled me aside, and he said, hey, man, um, he said, I, I love what you're doing. I, I love your look. I love you. But he said, uh, find a way to make that personable. Uh, make that yours. Because a lot of people has come out and they tape their fists or if they're going to have a street fight, they tape their But I'm out there every week. So he said, find a way to make that yours. Um, uh, kind of like how he did with the gloves, you know, when he yeah. started Find a way to make it yours. I, he said, I can't tell you what it is. I don't know what to tell you, but you, you figure it out. And so I said, huh, what can I do? And so um, I ended up going with the four up. I thought it was it had a cool sound to it. And then more importantly, it just made perfect sense for a boxer to put four up. Uh, because when you hit someone, with your fist, as Fred Sanford used to say, and all the people back in, in the older days, how would you like five knuckle sandwiches upside? Your, well, you don't hit a person with five knuckles. You hit them with one, two, three, four knuckles. So it's four knuckles upside the head. So that's where four up come from. Man, uh, I sit there and I, I read that story, uh, that article that you were talking about, and I'm like, 
man, I never, I never thought about that. Like, you want five knuckles, but no, just like yeah. you said, you're not hitting them with. If you can hit them with five knuckles, you're something <laughs> special. Right. right, so it's five upside the head, man. There, and then on the flip side, you know, there's there, there's more to it, but that'll be in the book someday. There, there's actually an alternative reason to it as well, but um, that'll be in the book someday. So uh, you went and you're in OVW. You you were down there for a while, and I heard, and I read somewhere that they they gave you an opportunity. Spirit yes. squad, right? Yep. <laughs> so most people, when they have an opportunity to go up to the main roster, jump on it. They're going to jump on that, and we're going to figure out when we're up there. Right, right. Yeah. But, the, but the Pope, Pope says, Oof. nah, I'm going to pass on this. Right. Give, me give me next time around. Right. So so what What was the, the – uh, the thinking behind it was it something that long term you know, long term oh okay long -term. i i i knew that instantly vince told us me uh nick nimeth uh kid doan and nick mitchell from that mtv series the reality show whatever he was on vince told us we were going to make a lot of money and 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 a lot a lot of money fast a lot of money pal he told us we were going to make a lot of money he he told us this is not from the writers this is my idea you're going to be with me you know it's um but i was thinking long term i'm like yeah you know all my life all my life i wanted to be a, a wrestler all never dreamt that i would get the wwf slash e never thought of that in my life and here i am and i'm not this is just not the way i want to be portrayed sure i'll take anything you give me but this is going to be hot for a moment but it's going to fizzle out what what happens after it's like the night after or the morning after i should say what type of regrets am I going to have when I leave that club or that, you know, take that girl home and, uh, you know, and, uh. so, so that's, that was on my mind. And um, I always give a shout out to my boy, Dolph Ziggler. He went back down to FCW, WWE de developmental at the time. He found a way to stick around, reinvent himself and make it work. But the, the rest, just they packaged them up, shipped them back to OBW, never to be heard of again. Ken Don had a moment, but could not wash it. The stench of the Spirit Squad would not be able to be washed off. So when I think of the Spirit Squad, I think of some of the uh, 80s characters that just came and you just could never escape. The 90 characters, I should say, that, you know, T.L. Hopper, you know. The you goon. You just can't, yeah, the goon. Once that happened, they were done. You could not, it, the goobly gawker. Once they came, you know, their career was over. And by me being uh, somewhat of a wrestling historian in, in my own mind, uh, because I followed it from, from, from youth, from childhood, it's like, no, this is going to be what they're going to be remembered by. And again, Dolph was the lucky one. And... Not too many people sit there and can say, "Hey, I, I told Vince no." 
Yeah. And, uh, well, again, here's the cool part about that. It wasn't just a, no, I'm not going to do it. This wants you, he wants you to be full in, all in, 100%. You know, there's a reason that Eric Bischoff went back and then got fired because he's not going to be all in in that way that Vince Vince wants to wants to call you at three o'clock in the morning and you better be up with a cup of coffee, get out of bed, stop what you you know what I'm saying? You're in the middle of sex. Oh god dang pal, we got business. You know, stop sexing your wife, get up. And and, and that wasn't Eric Bischoff. He he hadn't from Eric Bischoff's mouth, by the way, he just was not wired like that to where you gotta be thinking, I mean, look at look at Hunter. Hunter married into that family. He has to be all in. Yes. Vince wants you to be like him, have his mindset. And so he told if, if this is not you, if you're not going to be all in on it, I don't want you to do it because you're going to do you're going to do yourself a disservice, but more importantly, you're doing me a disservice. So I don't want. So yeah. So I had I told you know I told him thank you, but no thanks. And he, he looked me in my eyes and he shook my hand and said he appreciated me for being honest and said, thank you. And we'll send you back down to OVW. I'm always, uh, every time I talk about him, I talk like him. But we're going <laughs> to send you back down to OVW and we'll bring you back up um, when we get something for you. And they did. Yeah. And it was and it was more, uh, you know, more of you. More of me. More of they sit there and they they packaged you and teamed you up with uh, Sylvester, and you know the whole gimmick was your amateur boxing background, something that you know people knew you as, you know those hands, and you know you got your foot in the door, and you know that was that was more of you, which is something that everybody says when Vince you know gives you a character, it's you but turned up a thousand degrees. Right. And that spirit squad, that there's no way that. I mean, uh, I would have got over. I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about getting over for the wrong reason. You got three white guys and one black guy. There you so, go. So <laughs> you, you get up on the main roster and, you know, you're in tag team, you're in singles action for a while. And then all of a sudden, the infamous ECW comes back and, and Vince actually, you know, goes live and tells everybody Elijah Burke is going to be the face of ECW. You know, you had the look, you had the charisma, the mic skills are to this day, still untouchable. Appreciate that. But you know, what was it that Vince didn't want to give you the keys to the kingdom? You know, it seems several times that, you know, he gave you gave you the car to take out around the block. Yeah. But all of a sudden, he's like, ah, it's starting to rain. Let's, let's get the car back in the garage. I, I, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I, I was there for a specific reason. Uh, and um, I knew my reason uh, as far as the hill goes and, and to be the heat getter. And um, to be to play somewhat of a fodder to uh, the guys on top. Once my time, you know, once I was, 
the extreme. It was never, I was never supposed to be given the keys, as you just said. I was there specifically for that one angle that was the new breed versus the originals. That's what that was all about. That was to get us to WrestleMania. And 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 then, you know, uh, again, I I've, I've never had a problem getting over, and and so then we start just it just continued and it just continued, and um, you know, I, I your guess is as good as mine as far as I know what was supposed to happen at one point, um, and I knew I was going to it was going to be me and Chris Benoit, I do know that, you know, after Benoit and Punk, I I, I knew I was going to be there, um. And had I been there on that unfortunate day, which I'm glad I wasn't, because uh, I wouldn't have wanted it like that. But they, you know, where, where's Elijah? Well, Johnny Ace had me stay home because after the match with Benoit, my back exploded, and um, he wanted me to get rested up because they needed me. And had I been there, I would have been the ECW champion because Vince likes to have the face to chase the heel. Uh, after WWE. You know, you, you play around in the Indies a little bit, overseas. And then you, you go and get a shot at TNA. Your uh, your tryout match was against, as we know him now, the chairman, Sean Spears. So what was the tryout match like, you know, going to TNA compared to, I've been at the, at the big show WWE? Easy. Easy breezy. Uh, one thing that I always try to tell people to do is when I'm training guys, when I'm giving guys advice, just like I had some uh, young guys uh, up at the uh, recent event with NWA, you gotta you gotta get your character over. Who 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 are you? Who are your character? What does your character do? What's your, you know, everybody comes out. Someone could come out dressed like the Swamp Thing to this day. Come out just like the Swamp Thing, and and yet there's no, you don't spew any black, you know, mist from, you know, from whatever. You can come out just like Dracula, but you're not biting anybody on the neck. Like you have to get your character over, and that's one thing that I always always have done. It's just not the wrestling, and that's what I did there. It was great. The crowd ate it up, and I went backstage and. I remember Jim Cornette going, hey, what are they going to do with you? First, they're going to have your baby face, and you're going to be a bad guy. I don't know anymore. This is driving me crazy. Uh, Jim Cornette. So, uh, but it, it was a wonderful experience. But then I, I gave that uh, DVD. Uh, I had a little promo. It's got to be somewhere. I don't know where it's at. I'm sure I have it tucked away. I gave it to Vince Russo. I said, he was walking by. I said, Vince, say, I got something. I want you to look at this first because, you know, Jared – Already told uh, we got to resign you. Terry Taylor, I met Terry Taylor's yeah. like, you know, I uh, gotta get with you about this contract. I say, Vince, I said, I want you to look at this real quick. It's just three, three and a half minutes long. Check it out before y'all decide on what you want to do with me. This is what I was working on with WWE. This is what I wanted. Okay, he's all right, bro. I'll check it out, bro. He took the DVD immediately. He really did. I, I wasn't expecting, I was expecting a get back with me later. He went, he put it in the office. He came fast walking back out of the uh, uh, office and he's like, bro, 
bro, you gotta be the Pope, bro. Forget about Elijah Burke. Bro, you gotta be the Pope because the Pope is money, bro. It's my already have the name, bro. Dinero, because Dinero Pope means money. The Pope is money. Go tell them. Just forget. Don't worry about it. You do Pope. And, and I've been Pope ever since. Hey, and I love that gimmick. I love the character. Like, I'm like, man, if this was allowed when you were in WWE, man. I was trying, man. They, they, but they, they wanted me to be this televangelist. And, and I'm like, no, Pope, the only thing religious about Pope is the character. You know, it, it, I, I meant the name, excuse me. The name is the only thing that's religious, if you want to go that route. But um, they wanted me to be hellfire and brimstone and all that other stuff. And I'm like, when somebody wanted to go to church, they go to church. They'll be entertained. They don't want to hear about that. And, I, and that's not what I, because I, I am a religious person as far as my beliefs go. I, I believe in higher power and all of that stuff. So I'm not trying to get out there and, and you know, make fun of that or whatnot. But a little tidbit for you, my first field was going to be Kane. Oh, man. That SummerSlam. Was, man, that, that, that would have been great in my opinion. Pope Mobile and all. They wanted to set me on fire. <laughs> wow. But, uh, you know, so what was the locker room atmosphere like compared to, you know, I mean, the structure wise compared to WWE? No comparison. It, 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 it was like being at the park with your family, uh, you know, some over here fishing, some uh, laying on, the, on a blanket, you know, with their loved ones. It was it was beautiful. Now, was, now, yeah. now you were there at TNA two separate occasions. Under, I'm, I'm, if my memory serves me correct, under two different regimes. Eh, Dixie was still in charge. D Dixie was still in charge, but then I think second time you had Eric was there, right? No, the first time it, it, Eric was bought in him and Hogan while I was there. So Eric and Hogan came in in 2010. Um, I was already there in 2009. You know, I, I, I went towards the end of eight, but you know, really was there in 2009. Uh, no, 2009 is when I went. I take that back. But nonetheless, uh, Eric and Hogan were bought in. When, when I went back, though, if you're talking about who was, as far as running the show underneath Dixie, that was John Gaborik, uh, big, who's now back with the WWE. So w was there any differences, you know, for from uh, first time there to the second time? I, I, well, I mean, it, it, it wasn't what it was. I mean, you're talking about you know, three years later, two to three, yeah, three years later or so. Uh, but everything was pretty much the same. You know, every, everything was pretty much the same. I mean, you're not talking about ratings and all that stuff being the same, but it was still, as far as the locker room atmosphere goes, family-wise, as far as the boys still being the boys, helping out each other, it was still the little engine that could. And, and so I, I enjoyed it, you know? And... Another thing that I see that you enjoy commentating was that always been something that you wanted to do? I think it's an I think it was a natural selection. So um, um, no, we were discussing a return. It just so happens that Taz had just bounced. So in that in that contract, 
are in the money talks. It's like, hey, well, how about this? You know, Taz just left. You know, you'll be good on commentary. You ever, yeah, yeah. So they brought me down on Mother's Day, uh, twenty fifteen, I believe it was. He had a pay per view going on, our Mother's Day weekend, whatever. And um, I, I, I did a little. They they were taping, I think, and I just did a little something. Uh, and that was, the rest was history. Josh Josh enjoyed me. Uh, Josh Matthews, that is John Gaborik, enjoyed it. You know, and we had fun, and and you know, it was great. It's something I I always even to, even now I want to transition uh, when my time in the ring is up. I want to transition into another aspect. I, who don't want to have all that stuff underneath your belt? You know, you you don't you you want to be able to do this, do that. You know, I've I've, I've wrestled, I've managed, I've commentated, I've produced, I have my own shows. You know, uh, in in the line of charity, sure. But it's it's been great, and I I certainly enjoy doing that. Think Bobby Heenan, think Mr. Perfect, think Macho Man, Jesse Ventura, and the list goes on. And and there's one thing that you all have in common is great charismatic personas. And and people sit there and believe what you say because it's how you bring bring it across to everybody. Right. And, and, and that's, that's always a key part because we've been in the ring. And so that's what a color commentator does is to try to inflict or inflate, if you will, their voice in such a way to get over what is being said, whether that's the action in the ring or whether that's some other stuff that needs to be, uh, act, you know, uh, conveyed in a certain way, a certain manner. So that's always been good, man. That's again, you're making me miss commentating. I love commentating. I, I really love it for a lot of reasons. You know, people thought I was retired. No, Pope wasn't retired. I'm getting paid to commentate. Shut up. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Well, Pope, this is the last wrestling question that I'm going, I'm going to ask you. You're good. I'm, 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 in, I'm, in, I'm, enjoy, I'm enjoying the conversation. Hot Tub Time Machine. I ask this to everybody. Okay. If you can go back in the time. Dusty Rose. <laughs> go ahead. To, question. To any match <laughs> in history. Uh-huh. Take somebody out. And put the Pope in that match. What match would it be? So, so I'm guessing it, it's someone taking on Dusty. Yeah, yeah. You know the the only the only, the only crazy part about it uh, would be the fact that Dusty's a face, and Pope is probably. I mean, I'm either or, but um, being that he's inspired me so much, I would have to get some of my dusty stuff in on Dusty. So, but no, I that's the only thing that I've always wished, you know, if I had that moment. So that's why I immediately said Dusty Rose. Didn't know your question, but I kind of knew where you were going. Uh, but outside of Dusty, I, I, I should say I've had my chance to be in the ring with Rick. So it's Dusty and Rick, right? So, but I've had my chance to be in the ring. If I could remove one person to have a full match with. It will be Sean, Sean Michaels, remove him, or Randy Orton, remove him. But Sean Michaels, uh, SummerSlam versus Hogan. Ooh, that is the first time I ever had that answer. 
Well, it's for a lot of reasons. Uh, we all know what happened in that. If you're a true wrestling fan and know the history and everything that was going on, uh, that matchup could have been, it could have been, it could have been the next Hogan versus Rock match. It was billed as such. Mm-hmm. It didn't live up to such. No. Because of the shenanigans. Because of the tomfoolery that was going on. You know, and so therefore, I, you know, I, I, you know, I obviously I'm no Shawn Michaels though, so I couldn't get in there. I couldn't have a chip on my shoulder for whatever reason. So yeah, I, I would have been in there selling my butt off uh, for Hogan. But uh, yeah, I mean, but there's so many more that you can go to. But just off the top of my mind, that that would be the match. Uh, I love it. I was it's- supposed to. I was supposed to get my. my uh, and this is from a fan point of view. All right, this is not who I can have the best match with, and all. No, I'm just from a fan point of view uh, because I was supposed to work Hogan at uh, 10, 10, 10 in Daytona Beach, Florida, for TNA's Bound for Glory. Me and uh, Sting and Kevin Nash against Hogan, Jeff Jarrett, and Samoa Joe. Uh, Hogan obviously got his back surgery, and that just took everything. I was like, man, why couldn't you just wait? Why couldn't you just wait? You know, but. Uh, that that's that's the one that got away from me. Oh man, that's that's crazy. What could have been? Yeah, yeah. I mean, brother, folk would have sold that boot like nothing else, man. Uh, I would, <laughs> I would have took two flips, and Hogan wouldn't have to do much. He could, he could have just raised it to mid. He could have raised it to folks midsection, and I would have made it hit my face. <laughs> I got you, Hogan. Oh man, and and, and, and you talking about uh, you know Dusty? Man, I, I I can see it now. The common man. Oh God! Oh, the, the 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 plumber's son. Yeah, take it on the Pope. Yeah. Oh man, man. that it, that it, is money. Yeah, brother. It, it it it's always the yin and yang. You know who's the yin, who's the yang. But when you got two charismatic individuals, two yingers in there, what can be done? You know because. Even as a face, Dusty did some heelish things, uh, uh, and I'm telling you because I I, I watch I, I watch all of this stuff. I've st- he's done some heelish stuff as a, a, a as a as a face. So, but he's so charismatic that the people ate it up. They ate it up. You know when he would do the heel stuff on the Tully Blanchard, he'd do the heel stuff. You know just to get back at them. And oh, so yeah, Dusty. If I could have just took one of his bows, man, I would have been good. Man, if you sit there and thought, like, Dusty was in the perfect spotlight right then. He had the horsemen. Yeah. The, yeah. The, those yeah. horsemen made him the ultimate baby face back Absolutely. Then. You know, you had Telly, Arn, Flair, Ole, you know. And, and then Dusty, Dusty just rotated his friends in, you know, he to go against never, them. He was never more over than that era, in my opinion. They were, not when he beat – uh. When he won his first world title, no, he was never more over in Pope's opinion than when the horsemen were there. Man, I remember what was it? I think it was Arn's podcast. I was listening to it one time, and they were talking about when they went and the horsemen came in to lock the cage with Dusty oh. and with Dusty and, yeah. and and Arn sit there and everybody all of a sudden all the fans just went to the cage and, yeah. and Arn Arn's like, "How do we get out of here? We want to get out of here, man." <laughs> You know, so he had a way of connecting with the crowd, man. That is just un, 
freaking believable, you know. And and um, I don't try to be Dusty. I, nobody can be Dusty, but uh, Dusty taught me a lot uh, from watching him and then from working with him. Talk about full circle from him becoming hands on. You with me? I got you. You you under my wing now. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing Dusty coming down the hall for the first time and you go, oh, my God. Like, for me, this is it. Here comes the dream. And I go, Elijah Burke, and he goes, get that hand out of my way. Boy, I know all about you. I'm the one that I'm, you here because of me. Go put your bags up. Come back and find me. We're going to make a lot of money. Man. It, it seems like your career – just come spiral circle all the way around. Yeah, it's crazy. NWA Power Hour. I know. NWA Power. I know. Crazy, right? Watching the dream, yeah. learning from the dream. I'm the dream, yeah, man. It's like it's like, man, that like like if you can sit there and talk to yourself back then, now, man, Ooh. could you sit there and, and would your younger self believe? No. Hey, you're, you're gonna learn from Dusty. Not a chance. Hey, you're gonna be on NWA Power. Not a chance. The, the 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 fact that I got a direct deposit in my pocket right now for a shot at the most coveted, the the most historical title in all of professional wrestling, the NWA Ten Pounds of Gold. I never would have dreamt it. Let, let alone holding the title. So uh, we'll see what happens when that time comes. But you talk about full circle, we're just going to knock on wood, if you will. Pope's destined glass. So we just going to knock. I've got the wood over here, Pope. i got the wood <laughs> over here. Okay, Daddy. Yeah, Pope, Pope, Pope's a little, uh, you know, Pope has to keep it pimping on all levels. So it's all glass over here. But nonetheless, you know, when you talk about full circle, that, that will be – that that just culminates everything right there. That's it. And man, and speaking of full circle, one last thing here. I when we first talked and sent some emails back and forth, and then I started diving into you, you know, going into law enforcement. Right. Going into, you know, your former corrections officer. Right. Got your got your degree for criminal justice. When did just didn't get certified. Actually crossed over to the streets uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, you know, the thing is, you got to have that degree to become sworn in and all that other stuff. But go ahead. But, uh, you know, then reading articles going on on your website, which I'm going to put up right now. And, uh, and, and, and reading the testimonies from people. Man... This Pope character, it's, it's not just a character. This is you. Yeah. You know, you care. Yeah. You know, you sit there and, and you want to help people as much as you can. And there isn't a lot enough people out there to do what you do. Yeah. So let's sit there and talk a little bit about your charity. Uh, what made you start and, and, and when did it start? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, man. I remember being, when we're talking about full circle, I'm the kid that's walking to the grocery store. You know, I'm the one that got selected. I'm, I'm, I'm the baby boy. I'm gonna go pick up the milk and cereal while mom's at work. 
although I got some teenage brothers that were older than me. But I wanted to go anyways. I wanted to get out the house. I, I'm walking to the grocery store. Mom leaves the money on the counter. I go in to uh, get the food or the cereal. I think I brought Cookie Crisp, as a matter of fact. I'm walking back out. And, you know, to get in, I had to walk through and around some homeless people. And then here this little seven, eight-year-old, however old I was, probably 10, um, I'm walking out, and they're asking me for money. They're asking me for change. This is in the heart of downtown Jacksonville, the heart of the homeless community. And, and I never forgot that. I remember having like a quarter or something and a kid giving it to somebody who's on the ground. Here you go. And so um, I always, just growing just growing up, I always said one of these, if I could, being at the bus stop, there's a homeless person, not, not a public transportation, but I'm talking about the school bus stop, and there's a homeless person camped out in the park. So I always said one of these days, man, if I am able to, and then all of a sudden I'm an officer, as an officer, I'm dealing with a lot of homeless folk that's coming into the uh, jail or transporting in the jail or something, whatever. And then the Jaguars came, uh, you know, this before, but the Jaguars are exploding and, and, and we got all these great things popping off in Jacksonville, Florida, and nobody's doing nothing for the homeless community. And I just said enough's enough. Uh, I may not be able to be the Red Cross or any of these other uh, big charity functions and organizations, but I said, I'm just gonna do what I can do. So uh, right after I left TNA the first time, that's when I, um, uh, uh, around about 2011, uh, I didn't leave them then, but that's when I started what has become the Love Alive charity. And um, all I, we're gonna be on our 10th year this January, uh, January the 8th, we'll have our 10th annual event. Our annual event is our big event. People can go over to Pope TV uh, on YouTube if you want to scroll through and see some of the things that we've done. Well, we have three to 400 people lined up around the block just to get a hot meal. And we feed these people not out of a brown bag. We don't feed them out of a soup uh, truck. We feed them from Burger King. If there's and people line up starting, we usually start at 12. They're, the homeless community, the people in the shelters, and just people in need. Some folk got in line that didn't look like they needed it. I said, hey man, and he wanted two. He wanted two of everything. I said, hey, bro, I said, hey. I said, let me holler at you for a second. I said, and I said, well, what's going on here? So you, you really? He said, hey, man. He said, I just need two. He said, my wife's in a car. She's disabled. He said, come come with me. You can come see. He said, we're living out of my car. He took me over to his Dodge Charger. His wife is in the front seat, disabled, and all of their belongings are in the back of their car. I said, look, if you need some more, come over. He said, nah, man, this is all. I said, you sure? He said, this is, I just wanted to get something for now. So from that moment, never, I've never questioned anybody else. If they stand in line for hours just to get a hot meal, just to go get some clothes, to get some new, uh, to get some shoes that we got, whatever. So I always tell people, look, 
I'm not I'm not funded by the government. I'm not funded by the city. You got we got these big organizations. No knock to you, Tony Khan, but I'm doing for the homeless community. You can certainly donate to your boys' charity. We're 501c3. You can write it off. Everybody else, get, come on, man. The only time we see people uh, of, of millionaire status, football players, and all these, when they do stuff, it's because it's a national tragedy or a tragedy that's getting attention. Your boy's doing this on the regular. So if you guys are watching and you're listening, all I ask for is you go support your boy, charity at love-alive.org. One dollar help makes a difference. One dollar makes a difference. I went to, I'm going to share something and then I'm done. I just passed a guy on the way to Oak Grove, Kentucky. I stopped to get some gas. He was out on the lawn. I said, hey, I'm, I, I went inside to get gas and I saw him laying out there. He's camped out. He got his radio, whatever. I went over, I said, hey, man, you eat hot dogs? Yeah. I said, what you want on it? Ah, man, I'll, I'll take some mustard and whatever. I said, okay, I'll be right back. Went in, they didn't have any hot dogs. I come back out, I said, look, man, what you want, McDonald's, Taco Bell, or Subway? Because that's what I see right now in the facility. And he goes, why are you being so nice to me, man? Like, it's not my birthday. I said, because I'm just going to take care of you. I believe in changing the world one person at a time. And that's the bottom line. And I took care of him. He asked for a McDouble. I gave him, I went and bought two McDoubles. Got him a large fry, got him iced tea and whatever. So that's what that's what my charity is about. We feed, we clothe, we have hygiene products. We have book bags filled with uh, 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 all the accessories for kids to achieve academic success. Check us out, support if you can. Um, and always remember, one day it could be you. It could be you, man. I, I sit there and you know I went on there and was reading stuff and you know it, it. This is a great thing you're doing because you know how many people sit there and and walk by and just ignore people. Yeah. You know, like you said, one day that could be you. You know, and someone could be walking by and ignoring you. Yeah. So so hey, go to love dash alive dot org. Click on the donate tab. There's a donate yeah. tab at the bottom and yeah. the top of the page. Yeah, upper left hand corner are the three <laughs> are the three little hashtags. Go scroll down, go to donate. A dollar will help. Yeah. You know, I know there's at least 500 people that download this episode every week. 500 people sit there and donate a dollar. There you go. And your boy, I, I preach this all the time. And first, before I continue, I want to thank you for contributing to my charity. You didn't have to do it, but you did. So I appreciate you so much, man. And I appreciate you for researching. I appreciate 10 years I've done this. And out of my pocket, I get donate. We got 50 donations on the year so far. Okay. But this is still coming out of my pocket, too. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, I need you because the last thing we need is a GoFundMe. That's when you don't donate, when there's a GoFundMe side up. Come on, help. Just, just be. But listen, man, you said it. I got over 45, almost 50,000, I think, followers on Instagram. Can you imagine if everybody donated a dollar? I got 100,000 on Twitter. Can you imagine? And we acknowledge every donation. So you know that we're putting it out there that you donated and 49 or 50 other people donated. So everything's acknowledged. We're, again, we're 501c3. 
We have to give everything to the state of Tallahassee. We have a board. We got to follow the bylaws and everything, man. So, so yeah. But if I had all those people and everybody that's on Instagram and Facebook, I wouldn't be asking all the time, but I get it. It's hard to depart with your dollar. I get it. That's why I want you to go to the website and see for yourself. Click on the video. Watch it for yourself. Yeah, and, and you sit there and you can learn so much, you know. I, I appreciate you sitting there and coming on the show. You know, I love talking wrestling. Yeah. But then there's that serious aspect where – we got to put down the tights, put down the boots. Yeah. And we got to help people. Yes, sir. You know? Yes, sir. So, so hey, post- last but not least, for, I, I want to share this cool story because I know they, they don't mind me sharing it. I was at an indie event uh, uh, in, in, in uh, Orlando, Florida. And two, two people that I know have helped uh, send a donation. I don't care if it was $5 or 10 They're married. I found out they were living in their trailer. Uh, excuse me. They got kicked out of their home because the husband had to have back surgery. He couldn't work, so they lost their home. They were living out of their truck with their dogs, right? At the event, since I found that out, Pope stopped the event. After my match, I got on the microphone. I'm, I'm going to be over here at this table. And... Each and every one of you who know your boy, I right then and there, yeah, I became Pope. I became that black preacher, and I took up a collection. And right then and there, we were able to raise almost $400 at a wrestling event for, for them and gave it to them right then and there. So, again, man, like I say, it could we never know when our day is going to come. So just be good while you can, man. Be the change. Last thing I'm saying, help the love of life charity and you be the change that you wish to see in the world. And just like you said, help one person at a time. That's all it takes. Pope, man, I sit there and I love to talk with you. Uh, <laughs> Want to tell everybody where they can find you at on social media to get a hold of you. I appreciate it. At the black Pope. That's D a black Pope at the black Pope on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as, Again, Pope TV on YouTube. You can watch some good stuff, funny stuff, and the serious stuff involving my charity. Uh, Facebook.com slash Elijah Burke. And, of course, watch your boy on NWA Power. But please, guys, the last thing but not least, your boy coming up this Saturday, uh, or assuming this Saturday, your boy's one-year anniversary. 100th episode, I should say, a Pulse Point of View podcast with Elijah Burke. We are celebrating the 100th episode. Guys, head over to Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, whatever. Wherever you listen to this at, you can hear your boy. Pulse Point of View with Elijah Burke, 100th episode. Give your boy a listen. I talk wrestling. I talk the funny stuff as well. And then I talk psychology of wrestling, and I don't hold nothing back. Well, Pope, I appreciate you sitting there and taking some time and stopping by. Any way we can maybe twist your arm to come back at a future time? You better believe it, man. You better hey. believe it. You support, hey. you support Pope's charity. Pope supports you, and it's going to stay that way. Hey, 
Hopefully, uh, maybe you can have a little 10 pounds added to you. Hey, if that happens, this is already wrote in. You got me. Oh, man, Pope, thanks a lot, man. I'll sit there and uh, talk to you next time, Pope. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you. Man, there we go. The Pope. Oh, guys, do we want to bring Freeland back? That's the question. No? Okay. Freeland, I hate to tell you, you muted yourself. Your mic isn't connected, it says. Good Lord. It's telling me your mic is not connected. Testing one, two. Is it there, working? There, there we go. This is what happens, Freeland. This is why I had to take you and put you in the back seat. And I had to bring the I got left out of the Pope interview. Yes. Because I pull a Jerry Lynn and I don't know how to actually work all this stuff. Oh my goodness. Like, I cannot believe Freeland. We're trying to be as our great boss, Mikey Whipwreck says, professional. professional. And what happens? Not you professional. You disconnect your mic. Yeah, I did. That's, that's why I had to. I had to leave you at the gas station. At no, the, I understand. I had to leave you at the Valeros. Mm-hmm. I get it. But hey, on a on a completely different note, that was a great interview with the Pope. Hey, I loved it. Uh, I love that how we talk wrestling. You know the funny stuff, and then all of a sudden, you know, we got serious because you know this is a serious thing that he does. And, you know, I, I made a little small donation a part uh, for FRM pod. And, you know, hey, keep keep watching NWA power. Because the writ has already got the Pope booked when he brings home that 10 pounds of gold. I like it. I like it a lot. And, and kind of what the Pope said, even if it's a dollar, you guys, I know. Times are tight with money sometimes, but if you can, please go ahead. A dollar can be a big deal for a lot of people. Um, so please consider giving to his charity. Once again, it could be anybody that needs the help and one day may need a hot meal or something to help them get along the way. What is this? What is that? Now, now you're having issues? No. Okay, I got a Mac. I've got an Apple mouse. And if you take your two fingers and swipe to the right. Whoa, whoa. All you had to say was I had a technical glitch. I don't well, need to know what you're doing back there underneath your table, okay? Swipe uh, left, swipe right. Yeah, geez. So as I was saying before, go to love-alive.org. Um, let's go ahead and let's see how much money we can help raise for, uh, the Pope's charity and see how many lives that we can impact. Trust me, 
my wife and I have gone through some difficult times financially before, and it is scary beyond words. Um, and if there's anything that you can do to potentially help somebody else in a time of need, um, definitely do it. Definitely do it. Because remember, as the Pope said, that could be you. Um, and it definitely changes the perspective on a lot of things. Yeah, uh, I don't. I was talking to the Pope a little bit afterwards, and you know, I don't like telling people a lot of this, but you know, when I was younger, you know, in my twenties, twenty-one range, I sit there and got kicked out of uh, the place I was staying at. I, I had nowhere to go, you know, and I was like that for a good three months. I had a Jeez. job. I had a job, you know, but where I I was going, I went bar hopping. Went home with whoever just to, just to have a roof, you know, over my head. You know, this stuff is real, you know, mm -hmm. and that's why I was more than willing to sit there and help him out, you know, help out whoever he can, because, you know, this is just I live in a rural area. He, he lives in Jacksonville, you know, so we got to start taking care of these people and helping them because they can't take care of themselves. Right. I agree. So. I agree 100%. But yeah, uh, I'm going to leave that scrolling across the bottom of the screen. You know, if you guys, as it's scrolling by, catch it, type it in, you know, and, and just a dollar. That's it. A dollar. Um, I do also want to say something else because uh, I saw on social media that um, someone that we've known for a while, uh, Mr. Mike Cook, um, from Mike World Order is having some health issues. And I just want to go ahead and throw my support out there to Mike and to his family. Um, hang in there, man. I know that there's been some health issues in the past, but just understand that you are loved and you are supported. And um, we are here for you. And we hope that things turn around very, very quickly. Yeah, because, uh, man, without Chocolate Thunder, Mike Thunder. Man, what would we sit there and do? Pancake batter up. <coughs> Pancake batter. That's right. MWO for life. There you go. So, guys, it's been a great show. It has been a lot of fun. I mean, by all means, when you get a chance, check this out on the replay. Um, great guests. A lot of fun. A lot of laughs. We got serious, and we even talked charities as well. So, if you know somebody who's a big wrestling fan and who may even enjoy our show, who may not be necessarily a hardcore wrestling fan, but you know what? They'd enjoy the banter, the back and forth. So let them know about us. All you got to do is tell one friend, and uh, hopefully we can continue to spread the word and get more coverage out there. Liam Savage, you son of a bitch. You better stop typing in that, ch in that chat. I'm trying to have a special moment here. So, Hey, speaking of special moments... Next week, three-year anniversary show. Next week, three-year anniversary show. Three years. Can you believe that? Three years. Hey, I've only been a part of the active podcast now for six months, maybe seven months. And I appreciate, you know, every, every moment, every time, you know, ever since the day you sit there and ask me to be on. Uh, but I've, listened since week two just because jerry never told me he was doing a podcast week one right so but next week 
I got some big surprises. Freeland? Yes, huge, sir. Huge surprise for you. I can't wait. I, I absolutely can't wait. Um, just tell Kenny um, that after he's in Gorilla, I'm definitely going to want to switch the digits with him and we'll get a hold of him and we'll we'll continue because... Uh, Mike... Kenny's the man. Mikey and Jerry are both going to be here next week. Old Fart 1 and Old Fart 2, I can say that. Yes, they will be here live and in living color. There'll be some other people popping on as well. That will will be a tremendous, tremendous thing. Um, We've been talking to some other people as well. I have some information that I'll be sharing with the RIT as well about next week. But if there's going to be, if there's going to be a week, definitely check out next week. I think you'll you'll be highly entertained. Hey, what was the number one rated segment on Raw for the longest time? What, the longest, the highest rated, the highest rate on Monday Night Raw. Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't it the "This Is Your Life" with The Rock and and Mankind? It might have been. Next week, little little tidbit, little hint. Could be the highest rated uh, show we've done ever. Ever. This is your life front row material. Three years in the making. Can't wait. We're gonna sit, we're gonna sit and talk favorite episodes favorite guest true favorite moments and favorite host (laughs) (laughs) they only get they only get uh what three choices yeah i got a 33 percent chance on that one yeah so hey we're even throwing favorite panel members we will we'll throw in panel members as well because they have been liam you are not winning just let you know um, I, I'm gonna have to say this. Uh, the question of Mojo, Mojo Riverfish, EJ Miller. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I cannot confirm that. Um, but evidently he's looking for a plaque. Freeland, I want a plaque for my work. We'll we'll see. Don't we'll you have, see. Don't you have to actually work to get a plaque? Well, no. Here's the thing. Here here's the thing. I actually was giving away those action figures. You remember the action figures I was giving away? The WWE action figures? Yeah. I was I was doing giveaways. I mean, I, I was giving away DVDs. We're, how about how about we, we also throw out worst contest that never got finished? What, what contest was that? Oh, you mean the impersonation <laughs> one? <laughs> hey, how about you reach out? We, we can finish the contest two years uh, from uh, the date I was supposed to be. I tried. I legitimately put my full-hearted effort behind it. Hey, if you would have known back then what we know now that you can pre-record stuff, easy peasy. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Thank God for modern-day technology. Well, Ritster, it is that time. The time. You hear the music playing? No, we're not playing New York, <laughs> New York. <laughs> You don't hear that music playing. That's our outro music. Guys, it has been fun. 
Check us out on social media. You can follow me at Mike Friedland. You can follow the writ at, oh, here we go, at underscore the underscore writ. Once yes. again, that's at underscore the underscore writ. Um, you can follow Mikey Whipwreck at Mikey Whipwreck underscore. You can follow Jerry Lynn at It's Jerry Lynn. Um, you can follow our panel members if you want to. Don't know necessarily nope. if you'd want to. They don't. Yeah. 86 that one. Um, but that's going to do it. So it's been fun. It's been real. It's been real fun. For the writ, I am Mike Freel. And thanks again for tuning in to Front Row Material and Future Stars Now. <laughs>